This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous donations of Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, B. Witzel, Andy Bethel, Darren Hampton, Trevor Hill, and William Sullivan, as well as lots of viewers and listeners like you. Hey Gamer Nation, GM Chris here. Before we start the show tonight, we do have a little bit of sad news. Many of you may have heard, uh, I know Dave and Phil, uh, you know, we were just talking about this. Um, roughly about a week and a half ago, um, uh, somebody famous passed away. Um, somebody who's important to the Star Wars universe and a pretty amazing human being, and that would be Sir Christopher Lee. Um, Phil, I know you're aware of everything that Sir Christopher Lee accomplished. I mean, our oh, listeners, yes. our listeners know him as Count Dooku in the Star Wars films, but, uh, um, you know, in, in terms of nerddom, he, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he's had, I mean, he was the most successful Dracula of all time. He was Saruman in Lord of the Rings. The only the living person. I'm sorry? The man with the golden the gun. The man with the golden gun, for Pete's sake. The only living cast member of the Lord of the Rings, by the way, to have actually met J.R.R. Tolkien. The man was fluent in over half a dozen languages. He had received, uh, medals for valor in combat from four countries. He married a Swedish supermodel. And, uh, was part of a uh, a military unit called the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. In other words, he was a purveyor of badassery. Complete and utter purveyor of badassery. The man fought Nazis. He had a royal bloodline that traced directly back to Charlemagne. And in the last decade of his incredibly ripe life, he actually recorded, I believe, roughly four heavy metal albums. One of them, a concept album about Charlemagne. <laughs> <laughs> The point is that um, Sir Christopher Lee will be sorely missed. He was truly an amazing man, the most prolific film actor in history, and um, an all-around font of bad attitude. So, sir, thank you for all you've given us. We will never see your like again. A moment of silence for you. Salud. And with that, let's get on with the show. Greetings, I am Darth Pseudonym, and the Order 66 podcast is far too evil for even me to ever listen to. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Broadcast live. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and Wayne Basta, author of the Aristia series of novels. What is up, Gamer Nation? This Hello. Is G- Hello, everybody. This is GM McCritz, and uh, you are tuning in to episode 55 of the new Order 66 podcast. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, you're in for a heck of a show. Um, this is the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And uh, in my staunch hellos, I am joined by the illustrious GM Dave. Hello. And the inestimable GM Phil. 
Yes, he's talking like the lightning bug tonight, broadcasting from my new secret rock and roll base on my brand new PC sound wave. Yeah, baby. <laughs> you need to come through a wall and say, oh, yeah. <laughs> I will give a no prize to the person who recognizes who the character the lightning bug is from. <laughs> Very specific piece of media out there, especially that introduction. Oh man! Uh, but yes, I am here. I am broadcasting from my new PC, so I want to apologize as this is the first time on the new tower. The old one died, and we're getting some funky buzzing, and 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 occasionally Chris and Dave are coming through my headset like a transformer. So I'm only fearful of what I'm going to sound like occasionally. So uh, rock and roll, and here we go. <laughs> here we go. We're up and down like titties on a hooker. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to comment on that. Um, <laughs> so we have a very lengthy show for you guys tonight. Um, we're getting into Phil's least favorite topic, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll talk to. Um, but uh, we have we just have a lot to go through um, and a lot of excellent, wonderful listener questions as well. Got a lot of call in material tonight, so I'm eager to get to it. So let's kick this pig right and get into some proper announcements. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Announcements. Filbert. Let's be original. Why don't you tell us about the feature podcast of the week? Because I know Dave wants to tell me all about the FFG news. <laughs> Do you like Star Wars role-playing? God, I hope so, because otherwise, why the hell are you listening to this show? <laughs> Do you like listening to live play of Star Wars role-playing? Good, because the Gathering of Dorks podcast just dropped their seventh special director's cut episode, where newcomer Ant takes Jamie, Blaine, Will, and Frank into his homebrew Star Wars adventure. Hilariously irrelevant, <laughs> hilariously irreverent, and in many as usual, in, in many places a, irrelevant. <laughs> this is true. So perhaps that slip was that Freudian slip was appropriate. <laughs> anyway, it's a great listen, guys. Go check it out. You can find that and many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Oh yeah! All right, Dave. We got some big FFG news. How about it? How about it? How about it? Desperate Allies is out. Do either one of you have it yet? Uh, my game store does not have it yet. I know. I went by two, and mine didn't have it either. Okay. However, I um, haven't checked mine. Usually, my my F, uh, friendly local gaming store is usually about a week behind, so I'd be surprised. If they uh-huh. right uh-huh. We've had some listeners post theirs. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I'm just so anxious to get it, but it's out! It's out! Yes. Oh. This, of course, is the Age of Rebellion sourcebook for The Diplomat. Oh. Uh, I am just... I'm so excited for this. I just want it in my hands. You, you, you guys know that face characters are my favorite characters, right? Yes. So, uh, I'm just so of course. freaking excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What do you mean, of course? Uh, no, of course. <laughs> um, no, I can, I, you, you like the face character. You like the supporting character. It, 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 it goes without saying, Mr. Kiss. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, well, okay, well, you might not have that in your hands, Dave, but do you have something else in your sweaty little hands? I do, I do, I do. I have. And I've been, and I'm reading through the character folios at this very moment. The Force and Destiny beginner game is out. 
the release date officially was today, and my game store actually had it. Oh my today. gosh! I walked in; they were unboxing their stuff they got from Alliance, and there it was. I just took it out of the box. Didn't even it didn't even have a price tag on it yet. I just took it out of the box and said, "Hey, it's thirty bucks. Here you go." <laughs> He well, said, I don't think I can sell that till tomorrow. And I'm like, uh, pff, I'm buying it. <laughs> <laughs> you want my money? You want it now? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you can't like, sell till tomorrow? That's he, a damn shame. Here's money. <laughs> okay, now you you opened it, man. Now, uh, do, so it, ha- it has an extra set of dice in there, I'm assuming, right? Of course it has the extra set of dice. Of okay. course it has the read me first, you know, kind of a primer about what is, uh, what is it and all that jazz. What, what, is the, what is the adventure? It's got the adventure book inside of it. And all the rules and all that stuff, you know, the little beginner game rules, right? So, and then it has a very nice two-sided map that has a very large temple on one side. And then it's got like a bridge. Um, hold on while I open it. You can probably hear it opening in my, uh, it's got a bridge, like, and it's an outdoor waterfall where they're, where they're obviously they're, they're crossing the bridge to get to a cave, which really looks cool. Uh, the ruins on the other side of that map. And then, it's got a valley, which is a pretty large, um, pretty large valley, duh. But it has it has a little village. It has ruins. It has the hunter's camp, and then it kind of shows you how these little um, how these ruins and the bridge fits into the main map. So it's kind of cool in that way. So you can use the the big map as um, you know as the overarching you know big picture, and then when you get ready to do your battle uh, on the bridge, then you use the smaller insert. There are four characters. Only four? There are four. Your party are four Jedis. Well, no, wait, wait. The others didn't have just four. I know. They, they had did. six. They did? Oh, no, no. Did. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. The there other were... two were released online. Oh, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. And they've said they were going to release new characters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Rage, the rage abated. It's actually written that you're going to take, you're going to take four, you're going to take four PCs through. Okay. Okay. Rage abated. Rage abated. Rage abated. So you'll get two more online probably, right? So Simmer down. Simmer down. <laughs> Simmer down now. Simmer down. They have a Zabrak mystic named Dao. Ooh. They have a a uh, seeker named Kaveri, who is a Togruta. 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 Of course, they have the guardian, Serenda, who is a human, naturally. And my favorite, the sentinel, Tarast. Ooh. He's a Keldor. Oh, Mask. Gosh. Probably means that the other two are probably going to be a Miralon and a Natolan. I know one is a Miralon. I don't I don't remember what the other one was. They released an article online. You guys can head to F- to fantasyflightgames.com to check it out. Um, actually, we, we pimped it out um, a bit on the show just a couple episodes ago. Indeed. But I'm very happy. I'm going to read over a little bit more. And, uh, yeah. So Wet our appetites for the core rule book whenever that comes. <clears throat> I bet that'll be July 10th. I hope so. I before can't wait. Gen Con. Usually it's right before Gen Con, and then they just sell more at Gen Con. That's true. That's true. That's true. Very, very cool. All right, now guys. Boat, the, the boat strike has been settled in California. Hopefully we'll get our throughput. Yeah. Oh, one oh would, thank God. One would hope. Good grief. Oh. Well, um, guys, uh, finishing up with our uh, our announcements. Obviously, 
Um, head over to d20radio.com. You know, uh, we've been pimping this out for a while ever since we did the relaunch of the website. But uh, obviously, it is wicked. Um, big thanks to Wayne Basta, our editor-in-chief and our amazing stable of talented writers, uh, for turning this into, I would say, one of the coolest gaming blogs this side of the Kessel Run, quite frankly. Um, and you guys can head to d20radio.com for daily articles, reviews, and advice from really some amazing gaming individuals and some good writers. And while you're over there, you can find a link or you can just go to a URL and type it in and head to patreon.com slash d20radio. Just a couple bucks a month, guys. If you're a listener and you like the show, support us. Support the network. Just a couple dollars a month is all we ask. Keep the servers going. Keep our blog running. And more importantly, get our wonderful authors paid for their contributions, uh, which is really what we're going for here. So that's all good stuff. And while you're in the Internet's mood, uh, as it can, we kind of we mentioned a bit earlier, head, uh, head to the Facebooks and uh, do a search for D20 Radio. Find our group. Join us. Hundreds of listeners are a part of that community, uh, posting a geekery and podcast news and info and stuff on a, I don't want to say a daily basis. It's almost a minutely basis <laughs> yep. at this point. I live on our Facebook feed. Um, and, of course, uh, you can follow us on Twitter as well. Um, uh, where you can follow us at D20 Radio, uh, where uh, that retweets not only network news, but also mine, Dave's, and Phil's personal tweets, where we'll inform you about upcoming shows. There are many wonderful listeners who are actually listening to this live and watching an Echo Base as we record live, and uh, they probably found it out either on the Facebooks or on Twitter. So it's there. Huzzah. Huzzah. Hello. Uh, I need to insert something right here. Please do. Everyone... If you haven't checked out the D20 Radio Facebook page or Wayne Bastis page, he is trying to publish a book called Worst Book Ever. Oh, this is hilarious. I'm so glad you remembered this. I... The Awesome Adventures of Max Power. <laughs> the, the, the thing here is, you know, Max Power is a secret agent. He's a Nobel laureate, a private eye, and a big damn hero. But, of course, when Femfa Tall, the rising starlet with a big problem, comes to him for help, he finds himself... Against the arch nemesis, the evil Dr. Guy. Yes. Ninjas, time travel rebels, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, he needs to get this nominated. So go to kindlescout.amazon.com and vote for worst book ever. Worst period, book period, ever. Period. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I am going now. Yeah. I've got I've to. Already, I've, got, I've already I've got nominated. To. And uh, the, link, the link to go directly is on his Facebook page, Wayne Basta's Facebook page. And I am going to, as we speak, I'm going to share it on the D20 Radio Facebook page. So it'll be somewhat toward the top. So you guys, um, you guys take a look at it and, and go over and nominate it and see if you can get this thing published. And I would really love to just see it on the Kindle. That'd be oh, awesome. I would too. Sweet. I've got to, I've got to read this. This sounds like a blast. And you actually reminded me, um, I, I had a wonderful conversation with, um, another friend of the network, Christopher West, uh, Maps of Mastery Extraordinaire. And um, it, I'm afraid that it's going to be basically a good week. I think we're going to miss this by a week, but he's about to have another Kickstarter launch next week for a new series of maps. Ah, uh, yes. And he already shared with me the first map. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm blown away and I want these so bad. So, again, guys, head to the Facebooks, follow us on D20 Radio, join the group, because you better believe we're going to be posting it up there as soon as the link drops, and you want to be sure to get in on that early action. West has a history of running very short Kickstarters. I mean, like, two weeks in some cases, okay? You know something? Uh. The map in the 
Force and Destiny beginner game. Uh huh. Looks a lot like that map that he shared with me. It's really, really bizarre how it looks like a temple opening into ruins. Interesting. Except it's it's oriented landscape, and his is. I mean, this this one is oriented portrait, whereas his is landscape. Landscape. Yeah. Interesting. 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 But. Um, yeah, he, he tends to run short Kickstarters because he really doesn't need to run long ones. People just love to buy his stuff, so be sure to get in on it and watch us. Funny that. Funny that. Funny, funny that. that. Speaking of funny that, let's head into Star Wars Adventures of the Week, where we're going to check in with SWRPG Adventures and the most informative 140 characters on the internet with our Adventure of the Week. Adventure of the Week! Thank you. Yes. Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. An Imperial munition ship is found derelict, no crew on board, not far from a rebel outpost. A tempting target, but is it too good to be true? This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! Love it. Love it, love it, and I love it some more. Indeed. Hilarious. 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 Okay, guys, we have a very lengthy meet of the show. Do you guys want to get into it? Yes. But, I mean, with an entendre like that, how can we not? <laughs> how can <laughs> we not? <laughs> yeah, okay. The meat of the beast. Mm. <laughs> All right. Meat of the show. I'm tending to be calling this My Tauntaun is Bigger Than Your Tauntaun. <laughs> let's, let's beast our meat. Let's. <laughs> You always have to come up with a meat reference of some kind. Oh, boy. Who am I talking to? Of course you do. I am a meat popsicle. You are a meat popsicle. Um, emphasis on the sickle. Uh, so, guys, tonight we return to our look at a unique specialization in our Well Isn't That Special segment, where we dig deep into the guts of one particular spec. We provide our own tips on making it shine finding the best synergies with other specs out there, and then putting our own advice to task by creating competing builds, which you will judge. And tonight's Well Isn't That Special is brought to us by a longtime D20 Radio alumnus, Dr. Xerox. And uh, Dave, would you do us the honors of uh, elucidating Dr. Xerox's request? Yes, uh, yes, Dr. Xerox. One of my favorite posters ever says this. The recent discussion on the archaeologist particularly when you explain how the archaeologists could be at home in more campaigns than you'd first expect. Got me thinking about the Beast Rider. I love the idea of playing a Beast Rider, but it seems so niche that I've been afraid to roll one up because it looks so out of place with the GM's campaign. I'm hoping you can reveal the less obvious ways for this specialization to be relevant to more campaigns, so I'd love an isn't that special on the Beast Rider. And please and thank you, Sex in advance. <laughs> well, his request was quickly seconded by Constructicon 1, Scavenger, and some others. So we decided to 
roll up our sleeves and muck out the stables for a down and dirty shovelful of the Beast Rider specialization. This really odd spec seems to be the epitome of highly specialized, which in RPG terms tends to mean mostly useless. <laughs> um, but as we will discover, it is a spec filled with highly useful talents that can make for a very meaningful and in many cases party-friendly character. So brush down your mount, Gamer Nation, oil up that saddle, and clink your spurs together three times because there is no place like the Beast Rider tonight on your Order 66 podcast. And what makes you so special? In my book, experience outranks everything. Great kid! Don't get cocky! I'm looking forward to completing your training. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> I will be uh -huh. the most powerful Jedi ever. <laughs> okay, so I want to start this off with a quandary. Phil? Quandary. You hate this spec. <laughs> <laughs> of the what? And actually, I think this is an ironic number, if this is accurate. If the, what, 66 specializations we have in print right now, mm -hmm. including the ones from the beta for Force and Destiny. Mm -hmm. If this isn't at the bottom of the pile of specs that have any interest to me, it is definitely vying for second or third. Um, yeah, I, I... If you have a copy of the book, open up to the credits page and you will see my name splattered in there for one of the playtesters. And from day one, I saw this spec and I'm like, I was just quite simply, why? Why, why, why? Why did you devote an entire spec to beast riding? And as we'll get into this, I'm looking over this and it really, and we'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure. In my opinion, it really doesn't make beast riding shine. It has a few neat tricks. It has a few neat quirks. But as far as making you the penultimate beast riding master, it really doesn't offer you that much. But again, that's just my opinion. And that was just my initial grab into this. So in a way, I'm really pleased that we are doing this spec and we are reviewing it because it forced me to sit down and try to come up with something that would interest me if I were forced to PC the Beast Rider. So I think you all are in for a very interesting discussion here tonight. See, I like the spec. I, I enjoy it. Um, I, uh, here, here's my thing. Before we, before we get into this, and I, I mean, and, and this is kind of my take on it as we go through it. And mm. I think you're, here, here's the deal. <laughs> Basically, the Beast Rider is the driver just for animals. Okay. That's what they wanted to do. The problem is, Due to a rather unfortunate truth about most Star Wars role-playing games that we're going to talk about, beasts are not used enough. So as a result, instead of making a class that's really or a, 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 a specialization that's, that's truly going to be a one-trick pony, they put in a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with beast riding specifically. So as a result, yes. the, the, as a result, really only about two-thirds of that tree is devoted to cool tricks for riding a beast. Um, yes, and it's unfortunately the bottom left corner of the tree. So you have to beat your way through so many talents to get there. That That is the unfortunate part. Um, but even still, I think there's a lot of benefit to be had here. 
And there are some, there are some things this particular specialization does incredibly well outside of beach riding that others don't. And we mm-hmm. will, we will talk about that. Um, this is a phenomenal dip spec, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll see why in a bit. No argument there. Um, but okay. Dave, I mean, what, what's your opinion? I mean, because obviously Phil's given his, I've given mine. I mean, what what do you think of the spec, overall opinion, before we get into this? Well, it's funny. I mean, you are the, oh, man, I really like it. Phil is the, oh, man, I really hate it. I can take it or leave it. Okay. I mean, I found some ways to make a cool character. Um, is it something that I would use on a regular basis? Probably not. Is it something that, I like the fact that they included it, but... How many times have you seen beasts used in combat? Okay, but that's a problem. That that's that's cause, cause that, that what that is is saying. See, to my my opinion. I'm so passionate about this. My opinion is that's saying. Well, beasts aren't using combat, so this is useless. That's not the problem. The problem is that beasts aren't using combat enough. <laughs> well, I'll agree yeah, with that. You know, I mean, you remember, you remember the uh, the scene where Anakin's riding around on that on that uh, I forget what it is that he decides he was going to tame. Um, oh yeah, the Rontel. The Rontel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and. <clears throat> I mean that was a cool use and and it's a very it was a very good use of beast writing in the film. Well there okay there's better ones in the films and we'll come to them. We'll come to them. But mm-hmm. but okay Dave start us off dude. I mean obviously we're we're jumping right into this straight away. It, let, let, set the stage for us man. Where 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 do where do okay. our listeners go? How do they follow along with us? All right so yeah so turn in your ace source book to stay on target that would be Right to page 26, young Padawans. This is a red book. It's <laughs> called Age of Rebellion Stay on Target Ace Sourcebook Thing. Page 26. And you will find the Beast Rider with, in all its glory. And a really cool picture of a dude that just looks like he's out for a stroll with a whip. She. 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 Yeah, sorry. It's a she. <laughs> it's a she. It is a she. <laughs> well, yeah, what, what are you what are you going to do? You know, it's That's the thing. It's I, I, it's it's it's, 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 it's Yes. Yeah. But man, they made Tresellians look cool. Yeah, and <laughs> the funny thing is it it seems to be like a dichotomy, right? It it seems to be the opposite of the career that it's actually in, right? The weird one. Yeah. You know, and sometimes yeah, sometimes that happens and that is Beast Rider in this case, right? It's it's <laughs> you look at the career of being an ace, you're going to be a pilot, right? You've got driver and gunner and pilot and hotshot and rigger. And then you've got beast rider. And that was my first, that was, that was the first thing that sort of keyed me off when I first saw this spec. I'm like, I, I just felt that ace of riding beasts, I kind of can get it, but wouldn't this fit a little better in the soldier spec? Or Explorer. over with an, you know, if they hadn't already done it, the Explorer spec. Yeah, Explorer maybe. I don't. But I'm here. Here, here's here's the one thing that I had when I was doing character creation. I looked at the spec. I was like, do I want to start with Beast Rider? And it starts with aesthetic, uh, athletics, aesthetics, athletics, knowledge, xenology, perception, and survival. Aside from perception, what the hell am I going to use everything else for? Well, the talents in Beast Rider use them, but. Well, yeah, you need survival because survival is your piloting. That's that's well, how you pilot with the beast for right? the for the beast, yeah. Right. You know? But I mean, outside of the spec, yeah. What am I really gonna? I mean, because a good GM is gonna give me an opportunity to play a beast rider and actually get on a beast twice in a campaign, maybe three times if I'm lucky. Oh, if you're playing a beast rider, he's doing it wrong. But we'll come to yeah, that. Yeah, if you're playing, you're right. A be- you're right. Yeah, you're right. We'll but you know, you do that, and then what are the other players doing? You know, when 
I, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of ways to, to build beasts into your campaigns, but you, when you have somebody who wants to do a beast rider, you're going to have to, you're going to have to unlearn what you have learned about being a GM. Anyway, it, it, the beast rider really eschews ships and vehicles in favor of animals, and that's what really makes it unusual. Well, okay, so Phil, from a, just in terms of people who want to play a beast rider, get me into the role playing here. What are they about? What do they care about? Okay. Beast Riders are the only spec so far released that has any talents directly focused on riding mounts. You know, it's, it's clearly the major focus here. Beyond that, though, the Beast Rider isn't relegated to a saddle. As we'll see, this spec has skills and abilities that make for superb survivalists and trackers. It's a very complementary spec for those characters, like the survivalist bounty hunter. Yeah. Pretty much everything in the Explorer. Any sort of scouting, uh, any sort of scouting character that you're making this is a solid support for that yeah because beast riders are naturalists they should be very home and calm in the wilds and as we'll see they are they'll commonly have empathy with animals domesticated beasts of burden mounts or just wild animals uh, a beast rider is likely to get spurned into action by animal cruelty or threats to animals these are their companions their friends um What's that? Uh, I don't have the book out in front of me. What's that Force and Destiny class that has the? Um, it's a Pathfinder that has the the animal companion. Oh man, I'd need to look again. I think it's the Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, it's it, but it's definitely in the Seeker build. It's definitely in the Speaker career. Seeker career. This is a perfect complement to that. Mm. You've got your you've got your buddy little animal, and these the skills here are just going to be a huge complement to that. So there's a lot of cross class potential and cross class support for this spec. Yeah. Mental bond. That's what it is. Yeah. That's the talent. Yep. Yeah, you're right. There's a hunter and a pathfinder in this in the seeker. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So, okay, what talk to, okay, so cause this kind of now let's let's hit on what we've been hitting at so far because the beast rider is this weird unique little special butterfly, right? Mm. I mean, yeah, they ride animals really well. <laughs> I mean that's it. That's 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 it. People are going to consider this a one trick pony. It's like gee, sure I hope my GM lets me have an animal and use it regularly. I mean, and so that's the trepidation for this specialization. But I do think I think beast riders are much more than that. Um, and we'll get into how. But I mean, as as Phil just said, they are superb survivalists and trackers. Now they have special abilities that can be used in the wilds of the uncharted world or in a bustling city or spaceport, tracking, searching, and hunting. Phil's also correcting that beast riders do specialize in animals, and, and a good beast rider realizes that using a mount on a personal scale combat field is going to give them unmatched maneuverability, flexibility, and prowess. So we're going to talk about the beast rider, and we're going to go through one of our archetypes. It's not involve using an animal at all, okay? But realize that it, that's the weak way of going about this. If you're going to play a beast rider, you need to plan to have a mount, and you're going to have to set that up with your GM appropriately. And guys, that leads me into, before we get into the archetypes and talking about the spec, I really want to have a conversation about beast riding rules and beast riding in your game. I want to spend some time warming up our listeners, um, both players and GMs out there, about beasts and the role that they should play for such a character and, and kind of the game that that character is in. Like, Sounds good. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about this one. I, I want to talk about this, like using beasts in your world, because I had kind of an epiphany as I was going through this, and it really pissed me off. Okay. Let me guess. <laughs> Let me guess. 
Um, people don't use animals enough. I don't use animals enough. Oh, you don't. Well, you got all worked up when I said, you know, there's there's not enough opportunity to use animals. Exactly. I mean, listen, nothing. Listen, I'm pretty even keeled, guys. But nothing pisses me off more than when I realize I've been doing something wrong. And, oh. and you, I will give that. I will grant this book that benefit. The last time I ran one of my games for my another long shot campaign, this book reminded me that hey, wait, there's animals. They're, they're, so I specifically set up a chase scene where these guys were getting with a with a data pad the PCs wanted, and they hopped in an open top speeder in this kind of podunk village that they on a planet they were on, and they rocketed off, and the PCs were looking around for speeders, and all they saw were basically horses. Yeah. I mean, very fast equines. So they jumped on them, went, you know, because this is my Imperial Knight group, Imperial Knight business, stand back, citizen, and rode <laughs> off with the animal. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. And one, as we'll get into, like, one of the things they've done with especially animals that are designed for fast riding, they can keep pace with a speeder, with a ground speeder. They can. They totally could. Their yeah. speeds are the same. And, and that's, that's clearly intentionally done. And I think the beast riding rules, which we'll come to, are brilliant. But as far as, Using beasts in your world, the bottom line is this epiphany I had was that GMs don't, and me included, don't use animals enough in their Star Wars games. It's it's an ugly truth and one that I've been guilty of quite heavily. And what's so sad about it is that I think it can be easily avoided. And I think when players think Star Wars, they don't think about animals in the environment. They think speeders. They think ships. I mean, that's what I think of. But the fact is that the Star Wars galaxy very clearly presents us a picture of a society that uses animals frequently in tandem with technology. And, and more often than not, animal mounts are presented, if you look at the films, as the tools of the good guys who are often right. facing off against the enemy's cold mechanical might. Um, I mean, it, guys, examples of animals in the movie. Big examples. Right. What, what, what comes to mind? What's that? Tauntauns. Tauntaun on Hoth. What else? Kenobi chase, uh, chasing after Grievous with, on the Vractal. Dude, and Grievous had that motorized motor, that monocycle, whatever, right? Yep. Um, yeah. I, I know, I know, we all hate them, but the Gungans of Naboo. Um, you know, in that massive battle in Episode One, they went into combat riding Kadus and Fambas against the Separatist droids. Dude, those Fambas rule. Yeah, dude, the Fambas are awesome, man, and I love, I love the Duckbill Kadus. They're fantastic. Um. But I mean, I mean, when you watch these films, Banthas, Dubaks, Rontos, they're, they're all, I mean, we didn't see a whole lot of animals in the original trilogy because quite frankly, we didn't have the special effects to do it justice. <laughs> right. Um, but if you, if you read, if you read Legends material, if you look at the later films, the prequel, the prequel trilogy, animals are everywhere. And not only, it, it, they're, they're used in, even in parlance, they're so ubiquitous. I mean, in, in the, in the prior system, uh, that Watsi produced, which was, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, before Saga Edition, we, when it was just D and D in space, instead of Bull Rush, you had Bantha Rush. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Love that. Talent. I remember Bantha Rush. Now you've got the equipment kind of on a Ronto. You've got the, you've got the ability to trample. To trample. Exactly. Okay. And so that's the thing. It's like beasts have a place in Star Wars. And when I read modules, even my own, and I see the encounters that other GMs run and design, a beast is rarely, if ever, a part of the environment. If they exist, they're threats to be defeated. And that, that tends to be the only way people use them. And if a chase needs to happen, the GM's first thought seems to be giving the PCs speeder bikes, not Varactyls or equines or Kybucks. Yeah. 
And I, I think that can change, boys and girls. And I really think it should because this is Star Wars. And when we really look at it, we are doing the universe a disservice by not including beasts in our games more often. And it, it, depending on the situation, I, I definitely concede that animal the animal mounts are definitely just as good, if not better, than speeders or other ground vehicles. In some cases. Right. Um, now... I'm not saying you put beasts in every single environment you have and every single encounter. It's not going to make sense, okay? <laughs> I mean, sure. space combat, uh, a battle on a space station, a deep city core. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I get it. Um, but to, to your point earlier, Phil, I think if you have a beast rider in your party and they want to play a beast rider, you have to be aware of being sure to give them every ample opportunity to snag a mount or have one of their own. Okay, that's that's readily accessible, plain and simple. Sure. And even if you don't have a beast rider in the group, use mounts on occasion. All right. What to, I mean, what are your players honestly going to remember more? The speeder chase through the city streets, or the chase through the city streets on the backs of Kaibucks? What are they really going to remember more? That's right. And when they unleash in the middle of space combat, they unleash the horde of trained Minox. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be kind of scary. Entirely reason. That would actually. That's actually an awesome. NPC idea you've just given me right there. Bunch of PCs riding, you know, and, and spacesuits riding giant Minox. <laughs> that ain't I, cool, I, man. That I ain't totally cool. got the idea from uh, from Jurassic World. <laughs> Good lord. It's funny that we're talking about this on the heels of Jurassic World releasing. Yeah, a little, little, little prophetic, yes. It's very nice. Okay, so... Talk to me, guys, about using beasts as a beast rider. Give me, give me this from the player's perspective before we get into this. What, what's what? What is the what, why? Why should a player care, and why should they want to use a beast? Beast rider or no? Why should why should a PC want to use a beast? Well, so many beasts are exist now in this game. They're fully statted out now, especially with this book. Uh, their abilities can lend their riders to. More, to move about on foot at blinding speeds, even gaining the use of evasive maneuvers or stay on, from stay on, or stay on target in some cases for personal combat. Yeah, that's that's like the only time you can do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, unless you're rocking around with a jetpack. Yeah, this is a, another way to basically say, "No, I want to be over here now. No, now I want to be over here." You're moving fast, man. Some of these beasts, you know, a, a speed of two, you pretty much have out to extreme. Instantly. Extreme yeah. range to close range and nothing flat. Or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Um And then you've got the then you've got the whole um tactical movement as well. You some beasts have the ability to climb cliffs, trample enemies, soar through the sky, all using personal scale all using your personal scale weaponry and talents. It's like the Picard maneuver on the ground. There you go. But, like, I look at that, Phil, and, like, to me, like, GMs who, like, we've had questions like this before. These GMs who are cringing at vehicle and personal combat in the same encounter. There's all these questions and concerns about it, right? Right, yeah. I mean, because there's these clear imbalances between vehicle versus personal weaponry and armor and et cetera. But, I shoot the component. Yeah, but it's like, it's like beasts, beasts are the perfect solution because they provide the flexibility of speeder combat with the balance of personal scale damage, personal scale soak, and personal scale thresholds. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Besides that, you know, the skill list for a beast rider makes you a great generalist. Dave, you, you mentioned to, that earlier too, yeah. Yeah, you get access to career skills on both piloting skills, astrogation, gunnery, ranged light, mechanics, perception, athletics, 
cool, xenology, and of course, survival. That is a crazy diverse skill list. You can fly, fight, track, ride, spot, plan, and fix. The only thing you can't do is talk well, but that's about it. (laughs) And honestly, if you're playing a beast rider, perception uh, presence probably isn't going to be your big stat. No. No, probably not. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to get into before we start digging into the into the specialization itself is actually to talk about, very briefly, the beast riding rules that are in this book. I don't want to harp on this, but realize that Stay on Target also gave us concrete and rather excellent rules for beast riding and using mounts in combat, kind of all starting on page 80. Um, I definitely will give them that. The beast riding rules, phenomenal. Yeah, and then all the all the beasts, a lot of beasts in there that you can ride. Something oh yeah, like eighty five. I know. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, th- these rules are simple. They're elegant, and they're very, very kiss. And um, I just, just hats off to the designers on that. But Dave, encapsulate these for me, man. In a nutshell, in a, in a nutshell, without reading them one by one. In a nutshell, what what are the beast riding rules? Um. Okay. So yeah. In a nutshell, I mean, it's it's you you basically. Let me back up a second. You remember the the really cool vehicle combat rules and chase rules that we have? Oh yeah. So just treat your mount like a vehicle. Oh wait, 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 wait! Vehicles have all those stats. Well, yeah. I mean, so a mount's max speed is equal to half of their agility rounded up. Um, with the exception, of course, of flying mounts, right? Who gain a a, a flying speed that's equal to their agility, but but still, are at a, at a max one speed on the ground, which makes sense. Yeah. And and the raw says you know unless otherwise noted uh, that that the flying beast cannot cannot hover. There's like one species if you go into um, if you go into legends you can find a, a flying beast that can hover. Hmm. But uh, aside from that, you know it it specifically calls that out. But I mean right. their handling equals their agility minus the silhouette and willpower. Okay. And then the rest is all in the stat block when you read it. I mean the the silhouette threshold soak skills. Even weapons, so to speak, right in in the form of in the form of what what is called equipment. I mean, they actually call it equipment. You know, you've got a tail, you've got a claws, you've got bite, you've got you know, like the one I was talking about earlier. They've got trampling hooves. So, I mean, in those are those are the vehicle weapons that are really take the form of the beast natural attacks. And and there's you know when you see it, um, there is a trained mount ability in there as well. So it adds boost dice to the check that you have to make to ride the beast. To to ride the beast? Yes. Oh my. Ride the beast. <laughs> so like the Ronto I was talking about earlier. That was that was that was trying to call that back up. Okay, right? so so wait, so so I can attack with a mount's natural attack? Sure, it's an action. Just like firing just you know I mean, so instead of you being a gunner and you say, I'm going to fire the gun on the front of the ship, instead you're going to say, I'm going to take a swipe at this guy with my claws of my mount. Or I'm going to activate the, you know, on the Ronto, I'm going to uh, try and trample the guy with my trampling hooves, and which is a 12 damage. I mean, that's pretty good. Okay, 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 I'm, I'm with you. All right, well, I mean, do I, do I use piloting on a mount? I mean, if I treat them like vehicles, I mean, do I, am I piloting these things? No, uh, no, you know, this is survival. This goes back to the whole survival thing, right? Okay, okay. So you're going to use survival, you know, quick and easy, right? So where you would use piloting, instead you're going to use survival. Okay, okay. But uh, the, here, here again, though, the difficulties assume that, that you 
um, have the appropriate writing tech for that animal. Or if you don't, then your difficulty is upgraded. Need something to hold on to. Yeah, and there's a there's a cool there's a cool mount. Um, uh, what is it called? It's a uh, it's like a harness that you can purchase. It's uh it's it's also in this it's a piece of equipment in this uh in the Ace uh, source book. Huh. And by the way, I do believe John Crowdis is in chat watching this live. Um, mm. uh, Agatheron is his uh, handle, I do believe. I, I could be mistaken on that. And John Crowdis is the man who wrote the rules we are discussing. I do believe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, it's called the XV09 Chemical Restraint Harness. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the nasty one. That's the. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's the. That's the. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the good one. That's the. <laughs> Um, yeah, Twelve hundred credits, boys and girls. <laughs> okay, so so what you're telling me though is okay. So so it's just like piloting a vehicle, except I use survival instead of pilot. All the stats are there on the block, uh, for, you know, for 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 you know vehicle beast stats. Basically, I can attack with their natural weapons. Uh, what? Okay, what, what? I mean, what else can I do? Uh, pretty much anything you can do in a vehicle, provided yeah. you meet the current speed requirements to execute it. Right. And you're making survival checks to pull it off, not piloting. Oh. Okay. There uh, are a few exceptions. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me I can't angle my deflector shields on a dewback? Well, no, except for one thing, maybe. You know, maybe the, that Famba's technology, that the, the shield generator tech that the Famba's were carrying might allow you to do something like that, but probably not. No, you're not going to be <laughs> angling deflector shields. You're also not going to be using any barrages. Uh, yeah, probably not concentrated fire either, I would imagine. No, 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 no. Uh, or pretty much anything off the list of additional vehicle actions, uh, which is less important on the back of a mount since you're usually at personal scale, and you will always have something to do anyway. This is very true. Wait, oh, do and my, do my, does my Ronto's legs have linked one? <laughs> no. No, not no, quite. They don't. And, uh, John is in chat. He's saying, no, he didn't do these rules, but he did the equipment. So uh, he said, okay, John said Jason, Jason did the rules for this. So good job, Jason. Okay, but, okay, so I can't obviously do any of that stuff. I mean, okay, but of all the other starship maneuvers and, and vehicle maneuvers and actions I do, I mean, what on that list, what can I do? Accelerate, decelerate, fly and drive. Okay. Those are simple ride checks. Punch it. And if you don't have the William Tell Overture going off in your head when you tell your mount to punch it, <laughs> you're not, you're not American. <laughs> Uh, you can do evasive maneuvers. You can do stay on target. You can do gain the advantage if you can find a beast with a mat with a speed of four, uh, which will only usually be flying mounts in the air. Yeah. Uh, you can perform a combat check with the animal's natural attack. Uh, you can do damage control using medicine or survival in place of mechanics. So, and there are two new actions, climb or jump and push for beasts who have those abilities. Okay. So what you guys are telling me is it really is like vehicle combat. Very much, yeah. Yeah, it is. And so why reinvent the wheel? I mean, you said it. It's Kiss. I know. This is just, I I am absolutely floored by the simplicity of it. That's all. I uh, mm. and, when, and when I look at this and the fact that my players know how to do vehicle combat, why, and again, I'm hitting myself in the forehead. It, you know, it's like, why have I not introduced Beast before? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, prior systems... Uh, you know, prior editions of Star Wars RPGs, they had radically different rules for m- mounted versus vehicular combat. Very. 
and it, you know, I look at something like this and I'm like, you know, just burp, burp. here's your sign. Um, so anyway, we kind of wanted to go over that with you guys before we kicked into this specialization. So you'd really have that in your head and understand what we talk about when we talk about certain things that the beast writer can do. But I, I, you know, at this point, I'd like, as we often do, to really break down the Beast Rider and get into two distinct archetypes of talent collaboration. I mean, I think like many trees, there's a clear line of separation between the talent abilities that string together very nicely for clear common usage and synergies. Um, sure. But we are going to have some unusual differences for this one, which Phil hinted at earlier. Um, so, Phil, do you want to take the first archetype? Sure. Actually, it kind of fits in with my build later on. Uh, the Huntsman. Unlike most of our archetypes, the Huntsman doesn't slide along one side of the tree. For the most part, this archetype lives in the Saladin Talents in the upper left corner of the tree, with a couple others scattered further down. Uh, we've said that the Beast Rider can be a peerless survivalist and tracker, and that's what this archetype is all about. Furthermore, when we say peerless... It's the thing that is the cheapest you will ever find these tracking, hunting, and survivalist abilities anywhere in the game. They're grouped nicely together and easily connected to each other, with most of them costing only between 5 and 10 XP for talent. And this is why earlier I was saying, like, it's, it's, it's just kind of weird. I, this is a phenomenal dip spec, you know what I mean? Because you, exactly. really, you really cannot get those abilities cheaper anywhere. No, no. So... I mean, you get Forager at 5 XP. It's a great little talent for surviving. But you can easily skip past it if you don't want it by buying over to Toughened and moving on. You get two ranks of Outdoorsman at 5 and 10 XP to basically make difficult terrain and environmental penalties just not a thing for you and decrease your overland travel times by half. Two ranks of Toughened. Who doesn't want two more ranks of Toughened, especially at 5 and 10 XP? <laughs> no kidding. Two ranks of Expert Tracker at 10 and 15 XP. This is what makes this archetype shine, tracking in half the time at a reduced setback. And it does not have to be outdoors. It can be in a crowded city or in the halls of a space station. And finally, natural outdoorsman. Yeah, it's 20 XP, and you have to slog through a 15 XP rank in Beast Handler to get there. But And at 15 XP rank in, let it ri in Let's Ride as well. Let's Ride can be a little more useful because it does allow you to use it with vehicles as well, and, and even gunner stations. But it does give that coveted once-per-session reroll of a survival check. And for a tracker, that is gold. Plus, that also leads you to grit and dedication on the 25 XP row. Now, grit at 25 XP? That's a damn expensive rank of grit, friends. That's damn expensive for one point of strain threshold. That's damn expensive. But you gotta go through it to get dedication. Bah. Hmm. Eh, what can you do? It's eh, what can you do. So, again, it's really weird. Like you're saying, it's just crowded in the upper left corner for the most part. You know what I mean? Crammed in there like the pilot spec. Yeah. So, the other one is really encompassing the next part of the tree. And Dave, talk to me about, about the rodeo champ. Dave, take me to the rodeo. On Rodeo Drive, I might add. <laughs> Alright, so I guess, Phil, if, if your huntsman there is the non-beast riding beast rider, then I will uh, call your bet and I will raise it with the 
absolute, definitely beast riding beast rider. And we're going to call it the rodeo champ. All right. <clears throat> Basically, you train and you ride mounts better than anybody. And this is the majority of your tree, but it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's mostly because it starts on the rightmost column of the tree and takes you pretty much down the entirety of the bottom three rows. So, Beast Wrangler, two ranks are available to you at 5 and then 15 XP. But each rank gives you a boost die to break in mounts, which is handy. Expert Handler, two ranks available to you, one at 10 and one at 20. And, of course, you're just a superb rider. You ignore setbacks for uh, setback die for each rank of those uh, survival checks to uh, to ride mounts. Um, and then there's Let's Ride, because duh. <laughs> right? Um, and then you've got the spur line along the bottom. And, I, I, you know, spur, improved spur, supreme spur, this is about speed and more speed and more speed. So, you know, so many uh, ground mounts are going to max out with a speed of two. So this is going to let you get a speed up for chases, evasive maneuvers, stay on target, or even more, you know, to, to move a, 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 a fast ground mount to super speed, ludicrous speed of four. So you can use gain the advantage. Four on a ground mount is fast. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean that, that's basically that's basically ground mount equivalent of dog fight. You can you can ground mount dog fight at a speed of four. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you've got soothing tone. And this is twenty five XP with only one line connecting to it from another twenty five XP talent. I might add. Yeah. So this is not cheap to get to, but it's a signature talent for this tree and for this real archetype. So you can use your knowledge of animals to let your mount recover strain, which is important because you're spurring them and running them like a freaking NASCAR. So yeah. it's important. You know, you get to recover one strain for every success. Yeah. If I remember correctly. You are correct. So, you know, it, it, is, it is good as long as you roll pretty well. You can recover a lot of strain that way. Okay. So those are our two archetypes. Pretty obvious what they do. As we like to do, I want to talk about cross-specking and kind of where things fit in. Really starting with the aces, and what's with the other the other specializations in the ace career, I mean, what's really odd here, <laughs> to, to Phil's earlier point, is mm -hmm. that the other ace specializations are the worst for synergy with the Beast Rider. I mean, absolutely horrible. Um, because they're all about flying, driving, shooting from, or modifying vehicles. And if you look at their checks and their talents, things they do, they all relate to piloting specifically yes. or vehicle weapons. And it calls it out specifically. Um, so when, with that in mind, driver, gunner, and pilot in the Age of Rebellion core rulebook, I mean, all their talents are one, only used with ships or vehicles or ships and vehicle weapons. Two are or are duplicates of non-ranked talents like Let's Ride that are already in the Beast Rider tree. Or three, or where there is synergy, th those synergistic talents in those trees are buried beneath talents that are absolutely worthless to a Beast Rider. <laughs> so, hey, as, as a quick aside, did you see the bit of trivia that has been offered in the chat? Oh, what's that? What's that? Um, this is uh, Agatha on there. In developing the rules around training, 
he got some advice from a colleague or a friend who trains horses as a hobby. Wow, John, that's a really cool piece of <laughs> trivia right there. That's awesome. And again, it's like the training rules, the writing rules, they're awesome. There's this huge sidebar for how to train them out. It's fantastic. Um, very brilliant. Um, so though, again, so th- those, those core rule book specs of driver, gunner, pilot, not a whole lot of synergy. Now, Hotshot going in to stay on target, okay, actually does have a couple notable talents that Beast Rider can make use of, um, specifically shortcut and second chances. Very, very useful to a, a Beast Rider situation, especially for Beast Chases. Um, and second chances is just an all around cool talent that can apply to anything. Unfortunately, it, unfortunately, though, in the case of second chances, it is buried beneath a couple of non synergizing talents. Right. Um, Rigor uh, is all about modifying starships and equipment. Um, not much there. I mean, a lot of Rigor's talents, you can take trick, you can go through Rigor without taking any starship modification abilities. And you can actually, if you try, go through and just go for like equipment modification stuff. And that can apply to a Beast Rider to an extent, right? Yeah, to an extent. To an extent. But what this ultimately means is that cross specking Beast Rider is pretty much forced to go out of career, which is more expensive. And that sucks. But it can be worthwhile. And here's where I want to leave the ace behind and talk about the other age of rebellion core rule book careers. Sounds good. Talk to me, boys. What, what do we, let's go through these. What do we got? Um, Dave, you want to take the first ones? Um, so like uh commander, talk to me, example. talk to me about the commander. What do we got? So let, let, <laughs> let's think about if you're a commander and you're leading a team of beast riders, which, you know, Kind of badass when you think about it. Jurassic World. Tatooine Rangers. (laughs) The Tatooine Rangers, baby. Um, and there's some good stuff here. So here's some, here's a couple of standouts that, uh, that kind of struck me, right? So, uh, the Commodore's two center columns, this is stopping after 20 XP, by the way, um, are worth looking into for a beast commander with command and rapid reaction providing benefits in just about any situation. The tactician has some really good synergy options, right? So you can add uh, two really cheap at five and ten XP, by the way, of outdoorsmen uh, for a chance at four ranks in the talent for pretty cheap. Good God. <laughs> it, it gives you access to the natural outdoorsmen much faster and cheaper than in the Beast Rider tree, which might be worth the price of admission right there. It, natural outdoorsmen is 15 XP, I think, in that tree. And allows you to skip over it when you're back in Beast Rider to get uh, two grit, smooth, soothing tone and dedication. Uh-huh. Exactly. So that <clears throat> that might be worth the price of admission. I don't know. Um, okay, what about the Diplomat? Well, there's very little direct synergy in the Diplomat, though any spec in Diplomat will help a the non-talky generalist feel for the Beast Rider. Yeah. Um... Beyond that, there really isn't much, uh, but the Quartermaster does present some interesting role-playing options. No real talent synergies, but you have the potential to make a Beast Wrangler who manages a full menagerie of of trained mounts for sale or use, or who can quickly and cheaply procure unusual and powerful mounts for himself and the other party members. Mm. Mm. I like Mm. the cut of that jib. Mm. All right, what about the Engineer? Well, again, very little synergy with the engineer. Uh, th- these are technicians, not naturalists. However, for another cool role-playing character concept with a couple of valid, if odd, synergies, take a look at the scientists. Their early-on talents, like knowledge specialization and even researcher, can apply to knowledge xenology checks. 
And that helps you as a beast rider. Can you imagine a beast rider who genetically engineers his mounts? Oh. Or perhaps does a Jurassic galaxy and resurrects extinct mounts? <laughs> there were entire, you know, the one thing that really calls to me when I read the beast rider is the old game Star Wars Galaxies. And the whole <laughs> Beastmasters uh, class that they had. And there was a scientist class that could do genetic modifications and make all these really cool and weird beasts. You got that right here with a scientist and a beast rider combo. Oh, man. And see, and Crowdis is in chat, and he's like, I got my hands on Desperate Allies today, and there's some possible synergies in here. <laughs> see? I'm like, and I don't have mine yet. Right. Could be, could be. Uh, it. All right. So, Dave, okay, that's so... so Talk me about, tell me about the soldier. Yeah, soldier is next, and it's uh, it, this one is is not so much synergy but cool combination, right? And bottom line, you know, soldiers are excellent with personal scale combat. And what do mounts do? They make you more maneuverable in personal scale combat. Yeah. Huh. So, commander, sharpshooter. They, you know, can make their boosted melee and ranges, uh, ranged attack from the saddle just as well as when they're on the ground. And both specs would benefit from tracking survival capabilities of the Beast Rider. They the would, medic. They would. Now imagine a medic in a saddle who can sprint around the battlefield to deliver aid and then use evasive maneuvers to avoid getting hit while they're going around. You see a boffin on a kaibuck rolling over places with the, with uh, med kits slapping. Yeah. <laughs> Slapping uh, healing packs everywhere and healing everybody. That's awesome. Evasive maneuvers. The, the Kaibuck's jumping, dodging. He's he's riding side saddle, you know, like hanging one one foot over the mount. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Giant step back in hand. I'm going to heal you! <laughs> <laughs> Get the hell away from me, you weirdo! <laughs> so these are good choices. Okay, Dave, what about the spy? The last career the in, spy, in, in AOR. spy, yes, as we, as we delve into the uh, career path of uh, Jenny McCarthy's cousin. There are uh, some, some really, you know, I, I guess you can say they're unlikely, but they're nice synergies here for, you know, for everything except for the slicer. So take a look at the infiltrator. Enhanced melee attacks. They work just as well on a mount. And likely going to have high cunning. So that's double duty on survival checks. Makes talents like soft spot really powerful. Mm-hmm. True. Scout. Obviously, the scout has synergy with the beast rider. Gain highly useful ranks in stalker and shortcut. Mm, especially shortcut. Yeah. An even cheaper rank of let's ride that they can get earlier. True that. Yeah. So outside of the Age of Rebellion core rulebook, and taking a look at some honorable mentions for some out of out of book careers. There's really a, a couple careers we do want to mention, and really just a couple specializations within them. Um, first of all, the bounty hunter. Yep. Um, Edge of the Empire. There, there's just there's tons of synergy and thematic coolness here, specifically with the survivalist. And you know, Phil, you mentioned this earlier. This t- this isn't even an honorable mention to me. To me, this might just be the best cross spec for the Beast Rider in the game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you get extra ranks in Outdoorsman and Expert Tracker, getting you up to four ranks in both, possibly. Um, and two ranks in the Hunter Talent, which is crazy. The Hunter Talent's not in Beast Rider, probably because, well, as we talked about earlier with the Beast Rider's proclivity, you know what I mean? They're not a hunter, you know what I mean? 
But the, the hunter talent adds boost dice when you're interacting with beasts. And yes, that means combat checks, but it also means any other check to interact with a beast. So it if you're like that would stack quite well with beast wrangler, just a, just a, just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> you think? You think? So I mean, for those reasons, if you're gonna cross cross spec, guys, go, go out of book head into Bounty Hunter, and pick up Survivalist. It is going to be your best choice. However, there is a a maybe second place honorable mention. Oh, yes. Um, that just thematically alone I think is ridiculously cool, and that would be in the Explorer career. Um, the Edge of the Empire's Explorer career has the Scout and the Trader. That's important to note. The Scout, again, we already talked about, has some good synergies. The Trader is really a different angled version of the Quartermaster that you guys talked about earlier, all right? Right. So that all that applies, but ultimately it has the big game hunter <laughs> available in its splat book. And, um, you know, this, again, this might be a tie or just a very close second to the survivalist in terms of best synergy. You, you get extra ranks in outdoorsman, uh, two more again. So getting you up to four ranks, potentially only one rank in expert tracker, and that'll get you up to three, but you have these talents called hunters, quarry and bring it down that are all about hunting beasts. And you don't have to kill your beasts, guys. Who's to say you're not training them after, you know, you're you're stunning them and capturing mounts to train wild animals? Mm. Um, and furthermore, just thematically speaking, when you're chasing and hunting a beast, I want to be riding a beast. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it's just as simple as that. So that's, that's kind of where I, I see those synergies going in. I, I, yeah. Um... Yeah, ironic, yeah, but I, I think honestly the best the best synergistic cross specs, one of them is as out of the book line, it's actually going into into Edge of the Empire. Um and the other one is not only out of the book line in Edge of the Empire, but it's out of core book. It's <laughs> you know what I mean? It's in Enter the Unknown. So the you know, that's that's where that's where it stands for, for me at least. Dig it. Dig it, dig it. Okay, guys, well I wanna finish this up by doing what we like to do and taking all of our advice that we've just given you and putting it into proper practice by doing our build off. So the three of us have taken our shot at creating a unique, fun or memorable beast rider character. And of course, uh, when you're done listening to this episode, we want you to head to www.d20radio.com slash forums, where you will find in the Order 66 podcast boards a dedicated thread for this episode, and in that thread will be a survey. A, you can fill it out and change your answer whenever you want to vote on who your favorite build is. So, who wants to go first? I always go first. You, you don't. You don't have to go first. I can go first. I can go first because I never go first. Okay, we'll we'll go go for you go go you go first, buddy. Get on with your bad self. I don't know, dude. This is this is a. Ordinarily, I wanted to go after you because you you've got a cool little build, and I decided what the hell I'm going to pull this off. So knowing knowing what I'll, I'll tease what world your character is going to come out of. <laughs> And say that although you spent about nine pages writing up your spec, I spent about a paragraph. <laughs> um, given what you're going to do, I have decided to just go off the rails. And I give you Khaleesi. <laughs> <laughs> so she is a Politico <laughs> colonist. That's awesome. Beast Rider. <laughs> that is awesome. I'm sorry. That's really awesome. 
Uh, and many XP were killed to get you this information. No joke. Okay. <laughs> T- dude, lay it out, man. All right. So when she goes in the colonist, right, she's going to get free ranks in leadership and negotiation. Um, Politico is charm and coercion. Um, she's a human, so she gets free skills. We're going to do survival and xenology just to kind of set up the, the cross spec. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to spend a bunch of XP bumping her presence to three. And it, it made me giggle when, when, when Phil said, as a beast rider, your presence probably isn't real good. Yeah. Unless <laughs> you're, unless do, you're Khaleesi. I have to bump the presence. <laughs> unless you're Khaleesi. <laughs> exactly. So I have to, uh, presence goes to three, cunning goes to three, charm, leadership, negotiation, um, take some extra responsibility obligation because she always so feels so responsible to her subjects to get uh, an extra 10 XP. We're going to go to leader three for another 30 XP. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to get perception. Kill with kindness, plausible deniability, inspiring rhetoric and scathing tirade, dodge, and improve inspiring rhetoric. Khaleesi. Yes. And then we're going to go to the Beast. Then we're going to go to Beastmaster Crossback. Where we're going to pick up Toughened, and here's your Beast Wrangler, Expert Handler, Grit, and then another bounce back to Expert Handler. Okay. So ultimately, they give, that gives us Brawn 2, Agility 2, uh, Agility 2, Intellect 2, Cunning 3, Willpower uh two and presence three her skills are charm two leadership three negotiation two coercion knowledge xenology survival perception i probably should have another rank of survival in there but eh, you know she wasn't real good with the dragons not really no (laughs) right so you know i I don't want to make it too terrible right so her talents kill with kindness plausible deniability inspiring rhetoric improved inspiring rhetoric scathing tirade Dodge, Toughen, Beast Wrangler, Expert Handler 2, and Grit. Yes. She has a Viber Dagger in case she needs it. It's hidden under those robes. And this is where it gets fun. Okay, you you created your own beasts. Yes, and I went into I went into Legends and more importantly back old Weg. There was a there is a uh, there actually was a Jedi in Legends that were the Doing Wogwin, or I don't know how the hell you say it. Basically, they're space dragons. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they're they a sentient species. However, sometimes they have unintelligent offspring. Many believe this is how crate dragons came to be. So, she has three unintelligent companions that escaped being killed. Okay, They keep, keep, are keep... Brawn 5... I'm sorry. No, Keith Kappel's in chat, and he's like, "Do an O'Queen Star Dragons, Star Dragons, yes." <laughs> Brawn five, agility three, intelligence two, cunning two, willpower one, presence two. Have Ahsoka five, and we threshold twenty two. Good God! <laughs> There's uh, skills are survival two, brawl one, ranged light, because they have, of course, no talents. They have their silhouette three, and of course, they can fly. They have a clause, which is a brawl attack, damage of seven, crit three. But more importantly, they have fire breathing, <laughs> range light, damage ten, 
range short, critical three, burn four. Ah, uh, yes. That's actually... They are fiercely loyal. That's the one thing, right, is that these, these Dwingreen or whatever, the however the hell you say it, are really, really loyal. And so I think we'll get over the whole idea of her writing one of these beasts. And eventually, maybe you will. With with some of the boosts you get, if you roll well, you might be able to ride one. Like, you know, so far, if you've been watching the series, she's ridden it once. And is always a little scared that she might get herself burned. But, <laughs> you know, it's fun. I don't know why. Given what you're about to do, Chris, I thought I'd make something fun. I, you did a great job, man. <laughs> well done. I'm I, I'm actually the I'm loving the stats on the Duan Ogwin man. They're like your uh, especially your fire breathing. Very well done. Very well set it out there. Thank you. I might the one change I might make would be replacing ranged light with resilience because isn't resilience the same the skill that Ethorians uh, uh, use for their bellow? I think it is, and then you could you could key their breath off resilience, and thus it uses their brawn, which makes a lot of sense. Oh wow, dude. I didn't even think about using the bellow. Yeah. It's it's the only other thing out there that I can think of that oh, is I similar would... to a breath similar to a breath weapon. Um the breath weapon, if fire breathing, the one other thing it's missing too is it needs the slow firing quality to be balanced. I would say probably probably slow because because they have claws they can use all the time. I would say slow firing one, maybe slow firing two. So they can't use it every round. That's right. Nice. Right. Yeah, because even that even the, you know, Game of Thrones, that dragon can't just constantly breathe fire. No, no. Yeah. Gotta take five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to add that to the stab clock or whoever cuts and pastes it in. There you go. Um, Phil, do you want to go next or you want me to go? Uh, you, you, I, I think that if you've, you've got the, the Game of Thrones Khaleesi, I think yours makes a nice counterpoint to that. Okay. Well, I, I also, and, and Dave, I think, I think obviously I, because I, I shared my idea with Dave uh, last week and he really kind of uh, you you squeed, and then you're like, I have my idea too, and you went off and made Khaleesi. <laughs> um, so kind of in honor of the end of season four, um, of Game of Thrones, or season, or is it five, season five, mm-hmm. um, of Game of Thrones, I decided to make something rather unusual and make a character who is reminiscent of a Game of Thrones character that we actually didn't see once in season five. A character who is a beast rider, not out of desire, but out of necessity. I wanted to make a character who is physically disabled, but possessing of amazing powers, despite that disability. So as a fan of Game of Thrones, I present to you Brandon Winter, or Bran, to his friends. <laughs> um, so Bran is a 13-year-old human from a very wealthy noble family. His father was an ambassador to Kashyyyk during the Clone Wars, and after the rise of the Empire, was kind of forced into a position of warden, you might say, of the planet um, by the Imperial bureaucracy. Was it the northern side of the planet? <laughs> so despite orders to round up and exterminate the native Wookiee population, Bran's father, Ned, secretly began smuggling thousands of Wookiees off-world and saving them from slavery and death. Always saying the Empire is coming. <clears throat> yes. So Bran learned at a very young age uh, to love the Wookiee culture, and many of the resistance fighters who frequently occupied his home obviously taught him uh, a lot of what they knew, including how to shoot, which he excelled at. Um, now, when Bran was 11 years old, the Empire finally caught on to their warden's activities, and the ISB squad, who showed up to his estate to arrest him, faced an unexpected armed Wookiee resistance. Uh, the fighting was brutal, but Ned was eventually captured, and then, at the end of the season, got beheaded. Um, 
Bran managed to escape by climbing into the trees surrounding the estate, but he fell into the bowels of Kashyyyk and he horribly crippled both of his legs. The Wookiees who found him on the forest floor saved his life and they nursed him back to health, caring for him as one of their own in honor of his father. And he suffered in a month-long coma. Now, when he finally awoke, something changed inside Bran, and he found he had the ability to touch the minds of animals. The Wookiee shaman among them began, uh, began training Bran to use his abilities more fully and referred to him as a revered warg. Okay. <laughs> God. Now, sadly... Um, without access to proper medical facilities, Bran's legs never healed. Um, but before leaving Kashyyyk, his Wookiee family gave him a loyal companion, a very revered Kaibuk, which was named Hodor. Uh, and Hodor could serve as Bran's legs. So, um, <laughs> you guys, you need a minute? Hodor! Hodor! <laughs> no, I'm good. Carry on. Um... <laughs> So, uh, getting into the spec, Bran Winter is a beast rider, force-sensitive emergent, who is horribly inefficient build, but very um, thematic. And what he does is he uh, <laughs> he uses his gift um, to uh, of of influence, the influence power, to touch the minds of beasts and warg into their thoughts. So. I wanted to stat Bran out as a simple human, and that means 110 XP. Now, being human for me was all about the flavor. Um, I'm sure I could have found an alien species that got suffered maybe a one brawn to reflect the crippling thing, and you know maybe had a uh, a plus in in you know either cunning or or willpower. Yeah, but then it wouldn't fit into his backstory. It wouldn't fit into his backstory at all. Um, so it you know because the thing is like. Uh, two brawn, which he's going to have because he's a base human, it just doesn't quite fit for his backstory either. I'm going to keep this build raw as if he's a straight-out human. But if this were a real campaign and I really wanted to make Bran, I would honestly go to Phil or Dave, my GM, and be like, hey, man, can I drop brawn to one and pump willpower or cunning up to three in exchange for never being able to walk under my own power again? <laughs> I would say this build is so freaking cool. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I, I, that's that's worthwhile, okay? And that would change some of the XP expenditures, but we'll run through it raw. So here's the deal. Bran is physically weak, but he's a pow- has a powerful personality. The Wookiees nurtured his strength of mind. They taught him to track, hunt, and steal his resolve. Since he'll be relying on cunning and willpower for survival and the Force, discipline, most heavily, I'm going to drop 60 XP to get him up to threes in both characteristics. So he's down to 50 starting XP now. Sure. Um, he is going to start in Beast Rider, um, nabbing his free career ranks in cool perception, piloting space, because I, I needed something, and range light, which is important um, uh, because of his training in shooting. Um, and his spec ranks are going to be perception, again, um, and survival. Um, his free human ranks are going to go into discipline and knowledge lore to represent the young noble's early education, um, maybe at, at the uh, table of the, of the house maester. And uh, and then, of course, the Wookiee's later training uh, to steal his mind. Um, survival needs to be boosted to two ranks ASAP. So I'm dropping 10 XP for my second rank in survival. Now I'm down to 40. Grab a 5 XP rank in Beast Wrangler for the spec. Puts me down to 35 XP. Now, while still in beginning character creation, Bran is going to drop 20 XP and move into Force Sensitive Emergent. Um, and another 10 XP to gain the influence power. With his last five starting XP, Bran is going to grab Insight from the Force-Sensitive Emergent Tree, um, making Discipline a permanent career skill for himself, as well as Perception, but he already had it, but oh well. Now, as a beginner character, 
end of that, he's got a very respectable two yellow, one green in survival uh, with an added blue when he's training beasts. Um, he gets a yellow die when he's shooting a pistol or spotting his foes and his uh, two, two yellows when spotting his foes um, and his decent or or for a starting character, um, one yellow, two green on discipline lets him force strain on, on beasts or human targets that he's engaged with using um, influence. Now, as for his starting mount, the Kai Buck Hodor, I, I agonized over kind of what mount to start him with. Um, Tauntaun, you know, be, honestly, the choice of mount created the choice of backstory when you get down to it, because you guys know Kai Bucks are native to Kashyyyk, right? Yeah. Um, I, Tauntaun was a choice I almost went with, uh, because it's a good choice, because it's got better soak, better wound thresholds, and a better natural attack than a Kai Buck. But in the end, what won me out against all the things I considered was the Kai Buck's agility of six. Six. <laughs> okay, that means that that means that its vehicle speed is three. So Brand can use evasive maneuvers and stay on target with Holdor right out of the gate, and that was absolutely huge for me. Okay, how does Brand advance? As he advances, his first 100 XP will be spent on uh, 10 XP and uh, once and then twice for a second rank in discipline and then a second rank in range light. Finally, putting him for range light at a respectable two yellow pool. Um, 10 XP for the first control upgrade for influence. Still viable for a force rating one. He only needs one pip to truly warg now and create an emotional state or a false belief in his target, um, ideally animals. Um, and his exceptional discipline will ensure that he'll most likely succeed. Um, 10 XP, uh, for expert handler. Um, uh, another 5 XP on toughen to offset his, his mediocre brawn. 5 XP on Indistinguishable, since he's now a wanted criminal, uh, son of a disgraced Imperial. And then 25 XP for Sleight of Mind and Grit in Force Sensitive Emergent as he makes his way towards Force Rating. And another 25 XP for Expert Tracker and Grit um, in uh, um, in uh, Beast Rider. His next 100 XP... <laughs> <laughs> 15 XP for Let's Ride and Beast Rider lets him pull himself onto Hodor's back in a flash. Very important for a character who can't walk. Um, and 45 XP uh, in Force Sensitive Exile for a Touch of Fate and then Force Rating. Now he's got a Force Rating of 2. Bran's going to grab the first ranged upgrade for Influence for only 5 XP. And then spend 35 more XP to get the second control upgrade, which really sucks because those aren't any of his skills. But he has to get that to get the other two range upgrades for influence. I wanted Brand to be able to warg at long range. Okay. So now he honestly has two force dice, which means he really has a good chance to pull off two pips and thus influence beasts or warg into them at long range. Um, this is really where the build reaches its zenith. Yeah, 200 XP. I know. <laughs> hey, I spent 175. Okay, you did. Okay, okay. But at, at 200 XP, he is now fairly effective at. Every, he's still fairly effective at every step along the way. But in the end, he can he can zip around the battlefield on Hodor. He can warg into other beasts, or you know, at, at long range. Um, not to mention distracting people quite a bit. Um, you know, and after that, at that zenith, um, any additional XP is going to push him into the spur line uh, to get to a point where Bran could ultimately spur his Kaibuck into a speed four and use gain the advantage with Hodor. Um, this was obviously a really kitschy build for me. More, uh, f you know, for a more efficient concept, I could have forsaken that stupid long trek through force abilities to get force rating two, um, <laughs> um, which just cost a ton of XP. And, you know, instead of that, I could have been pumping big ranks into range light. 
Um, at that point, Brand could have spent Hodor, uh, you know, into speed four and used gain the advantage um, with the uh, uh, with the uh, the spur line much earlier as well. Um, and then coupled with those awesome range light skills, he could control a battlefield, um, kind of one way or the other. But I I went for the flavor, so that's kind of what I went for. <laughs> and mean that's that's Brand Winter. There you go. <laughs> winter okay. is coming. Winter yeah. is coming. <laughs> That's his battle cry, riding in and hold on. Winter is coming. Remember. Yeah. And <laughs> I like what John said in the in the chat that the Kai Buck was fun to stand out, and he said, "Who am I kidding? They were all fun to stand out." <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a, that's that's a solid build, and I honestly love the concept. I'm a big fan of of, of taking something that's inspired from one genre and fit it into another. Um, but. <sighs> You made I, I, you made an actually useful build, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I really feel like it was hard because, <laughs> as I said, I don't like this spec. But this sort of made me sit down and try to think, like, okay, what would I want to do? I would want something like a desert ranger, some badass guy from Tatooine, some moisture farmer who is the bane of the Moss Eisley Police Department. And that's a shout out to my 501st Sand Trooper buddies. What, what? Dace Gamble, the Tuscan Raider. Fed up with the Empire, Dace Gamble uses a rather abundant pack animal population of Tatooine to harass the Empire and make his escape on any number of steeds available. Uh, we're going to start as a human for Dace. Needs something with a good base cunning and agility, and nothing else really immediately leapt out for a Tatooine Raider. Uh, he can easily disguise himself as an actual Tusken Raider, too. He cause all kinds of confusion with the uh, Moss Eisley Police Department. Buy up brawn, agility, and cunning to three. 90 XP from my starting pool. Oh, God. Career skills. Cool, gunnery, perception, and range light. Spe- uh, specialization skills are athletics and survival. And for human skills, I'm taking ranged heavy and stealth. That's a diverse my, character, man. It, it, I, I've got to give it to the Beast Rider. It's a diverse skill set. It really is, yeah. Uh, ranged Heavy and Stealth were really the only two things that this spec was missing. Uh-huh. My final 20 XP, I buy Gunner. The one spec that I could find in the Ace Tree that I could make fit with this, and I'll show you why. Ooh. Uh, for duty, I chose Ground Superiority. Dace's purpose is to raid Imperial storehouses and outposts, leaving them in ruins. I buy down his starting duty to 10 to get some good gear for him. He definitely wants a good set of riding tack for his primary mount. It's 250 uh, credits. And a suit of armored clothing for himself. That's 1,000 credits. Wrap it all up in a temperature cloak for desert comfort, a backpack and equipment harness, and a blaster rifle for himself, and he's good to go. Now the build. Dace is all about using whatever animal he can find, which means encountering beasts in the wild, on farmers' homesteads, or from imperial stables. Some beasts won't want to work with him initially, so he'll need to be good at quickly getting these mounts under his control through wrangling. He's also a raider, so good combat skills and survivability are a must. We start in Beast Rider. Buy the whole first row. Forager and outdoorsmen are musts for a desert raider. Toughen is great for two for plus two wounds, 
and Beast Strangler will be a staple of his modus operandi. It's 20 XP for the first row. Second row, Expert Tracker, Toughened again, and Expert Handler. Dace can now track the imps across the desert or know where the real Tusken Raiders may be. <laughs> he can also remove some of the efficient, some of the effect of his mount's stubbornness by, with setback dice when he rides them. Buying the second row gets him 30 XP, 30, his next 30 XP. Eventually, he's going to become a riding master, pushing on for, uh, as a full-blown beast wrangler. Uh, getting the beast wrangler at 15 XP, spur, improved spur, and supreme spur. That so, zigzag path costs another 80 XP. Can I interrupt you for just a moment? Absolutely. I'm sorry to do so, but I want to. You bring up something I really want to drive home uh, regarding uh, the, the, these talents. Yes. Um, <clears throat> he has the ability to remove setback die from those survival checks made to ride mounts. Yep. We didn't make this very clear. We were discussing this earlier, but when I was going over this, my, my own spec with my wife, and she was looking at the tree, she was like, "When are you going to have a setback die for mounts?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, if the mounts, you know, agitated, or if there's, you know, there, there's, there's all kinds of reasons." And you just clarified for me the primary reason I'm going to have a setback die for a mount. Mm-hmm. Negative hand- handling. Negative handling. Of course, because in this rule set, handling is determined by it's it's the agility minus their silhouette minus their willpower. Mm-hmm. So if so I the more willful the beast is, the harder it is to control. The harder it is con- to control. So that is the primary use of that talent. I just want to point that out. Very well done, Phil. Thank you. Sorry, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. That's okay. Now we go to Gunner. I wanted to get a combat spec in here that that fit his whole raiding atmosphere, but I also wanted to see if I could try to fit something in that could make this guy really dangerous later on, and I'll tell you how. So I chose Gunner. Snaking down the left side of the Gunner tree gets Dace some exceptional combat skills. Durable, toughened, brace, enduring. This selection dramatically improves his survivability in combat with 40 XP. In the gunner tree, you just stay away from the right side. Everything over there deals with vehicle weapons and, and mechanics and crap like that. You don't need it. You don't use it. But gunner provides you with some solid combat beefing skills. Speaking of beefing, he needs to get his skills up. Gotta buy up survival to three, if not four. So that's either 25 or 40, uh, 45 XP total. Get ranged heavy up to three and stealth up to two. Improving athletics would be good, too, uh, but buying up gunnery is important for his endgame build. The end goal is to get Dace something that can threaten vehicles. Repeating rifles come to mind, but rocket launchers are feasible, too. Dace could even, op- he could even also drop mines in his path for pursuers to set off as he rides away into the Tatooine sunset. Dace is a character that fights against the Empire in support of a rebel cell or as a lone assailant harassing Imperials across Tatooine. He silently rides out of the desert with no engine noise to betray his presence. With precision, he blasts the Empire holdings to pieces, tears through their encampment like a sandstorm, and disappears into the Judland Wastes, howling his victory cry. Golf clap. That's, that, is a, that is an incredibly useful build. So let me just understand this. You took the spec, you one of the specs you like least in this game, and you made an incredibly useful build out of it. Apparently. And if that doesn't teach you folks out there to give it a shot, it being any spec that you immediately look at and go, oh, hell no. I don't know what does. 
the game provides so many ways to turn these specs into useful and entertaining characters. I have to admit, it would be fun to play any of these characters. Look at that. that. And that's and that's with. your sixty-sixth rank specialization. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, then this this is this is kind of the point. So still, having gone through this exercise, has your opinion about the Beast Rider changed? It has. It okay. has. You you with enough XP, you know, if your concept is solid, anything can be fun. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. Um and you know so I think that is the most important thought to take away from this discussion, guys. To add to it on that final note and to build on what Phil just said, the one way, you know, and based on the, the on the original, the original question, obviously, I mean, the, the original, the original listener who suggested this request, um, I mean, his, his precise, uh, his precise request was, it, it seems so niche, I've been afraid to roll it up because it looks so out of place with the GM's campaign. Okay. <laughs> Understand as we've gone through this here that it's not necessarily niche. I hope Phil, what we've talked about from an archetype standpoint, but also Phil's build should show you that this build marries phenomenally well with any type of survivalist or explorer. Okay, this spec does. And if you want to go full on beast rider, there's a lot you can do with it. And as a GM, you need to be prepared for that. And even if you don't have beast riders in your campaigns, everybody needs to use mounts and beasts more in their games. Honestly, the next time you're statting up an encounter and you say to yourself i'm gonna have a speeder chase you need to ask yourself if mounts would work and if they would use them it'll shock your players and it'll be a lot of fun so with the goal ultimately for it to be not shocking your players <laughs> <laughs> so there is that thank you all that was uh that was absolutely phenomenal it's one of the more enjoyable um uh enjoyable build-offs and specialization discussions i've had in a while so thank you both Thank you. Now we're going to go somewhere we have not been in a very long time. There is a great disturbance in the force. I got a bad feeling about this. You must unlearn what you have learned. When good days go bad. Ah, happily, yet sadly. We take the time to return to our show segment we haven't been to in a while, devoted to GMs and gamers that need help. Game moments that went awry, and moments of confusion and regret that fester around the dice. Fester. Fester. At WGGB, we aim to give the best advice we can for those situations hairier than a Wookiee's derriere. And recently, we got a lengthy but pretty good communication from GM Hooley, which I'm going to read, and I want to get y'all's take on this, okay? All right. The time is five years after the fall of the Republic and the gradual eradication of the Jedi party in this campaign consists of a young Padawan whose master was killed and she was forced to befriend a clone who was not affected by Order 66. Now, at the start of the campaign, she and her clone protector have engaged the services of a smuggler, his trusty droid bodyguard, the ship's mechanic, and the smuggler's oldest friends, who happens to be a bit of a swindler and a ladies' man. This sounds like a fun party. 
Um, they escaped off planet and made their way to the smuggler's boss's base of operations, a hut. And during the trip, the swindler has informed the smuggler that the Padawan is exactly that, a Jedi. A roll of lore resulted in a success, but for threat, which I allowed the player to interpret that he knew what a Jedi was, but had been affected by Imperial propaganda and believed the Jedi were evil and corrupt and had attempted to bring down the Republic. Effectively, he blamed them for the galaxy being where it was. Good story, I thought. Unfortunately, this caused the story to take a horrible turn in the long run, with the smuggler not trusting the Padawan at all. During the meeting, Dark Sun turned up to ruin the party, and it was found um, was an attempt by them seizing control to seize control of the hut's assets. I mean, she did kind of steal it from them previously anyway, so the fair is fair. The PCs defended the hut's holdings and held off the attack. During the fight, though, the clone trooper was killed. The player left the group due to personal reasons. Um, and thus, the Padawan was all alone. But the plot thickens when it was found out that one of the Hut's advisors is also a Jedi in hiding. She first offered the Padawan her services to help her train, initially mentioning that she could sense much anger in her. The Jedi was promptly rejected by the Padawan, who she's a snarky teenager who was effectively raised through puberty by a trained killer. The Jedi then gave the smuggler instructions to keep an eye on the Padawan as she was concerned that the child was on the path to the dark side. And yes, that is one of the character's moralities. The smuggler agrees to let the Padawan on his ship as a crew member, although somewhat reluctantly, and his job was to report what he sees the Padawan do. It didn't help that she was now in possession of a dark side artifact the group helped recover before fleeing a planet. Going on further, the Padawan has gone out of her way to try and make herself needed by the group, but can't seem to make headway, mainly because the only person to see her make a difference was the mechanic, who isn't the best player in the group, and therefore not helping to, uh, to make a big note, uh, not helping too big to note the Padawan to the others. It's now gotten to the point that the droid bodyguard sees the Padawan as a threat and is trying to get her off the ship as best she can. It also doesn't help when the thing they do see is the Padawan interfacing with a dark side relic they found, which the supporting smuggler claims is evil. Now to the problem. The Padawan player, who is my partner, has got to the stage where she doesn't want to help these quote-unquote ungrateful so-and-sos. She's using language such as, I feel sorry for the character given that she's lost her best friend and is now being considered a threat by the droid and the smuggler. I need to bring the characters to want to be together as a group. Any suggestions as I'm a bit lost. I do want to point out that this is some of the greatest storytelling going on, and I do think the players are really enjoying themselves. The story has had some great moments, and it's definitely full of intense role-playing, but I'm worried that it has the potential to implode, and I'm really after advice as to what direction to head. Thanks and sex in advance, GM Hooli. Hmm. Have at it, boys. <laughs> All right. Can I... Um... As yes. usual, um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to say what's top of my mind and which gets me in trouble with listeners, and you you might hate me, but um, <laughs> you really screwed up when you told a player how they feel. Mm. I'm just I'm just you know the 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 interpret interpreting the fourth threat. Um, I I can see where you're going with it, right? I I see where you're going with it with a great idea to deal with that threat, right? But basically, you planted a seed that said, I don't trust this guy. And the role-playing, of course, just took it further than that, right? So, one, I guess you're, you're kind of lucky the character responded well. Um, but, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a preconception or, or, you know, there's a... Uh, there's, there's, there's basic, there's bad stuff. There's, there's negative juju in their mind. Right. And the GM helped put them there. 
I don't know if he necessarily told him that that's how the character feels, just reading back over what he wrote. A fourth threat, which I allowed the player to interpret that he knew what a Jedi was, but had been affected by Imperial propaganda and believed that the Jedi were evil and corrupt. So there could have been a little back and forth there, but I definitely agree. I think he set the groundwork for himself as far as the, the smuggler going, oh, you're evil. Well, yeah, and I, th- I think Dave's point stands. I think it was... Oh, absolutely. I, I think it was... I mean, I, th- I think the intent was good for that, for allowing that interpretation, but... Oh, okay, well, Dave, what, what, what would you have done with the fourth threat? How, how could you have handled it differently? I mean, I mean, as a suggestion. So, okay, so here's a, here's a, here's a thought, right? And, and reject it. Feel free to reject it, right? So I'm, I'm cool with you knowing what the Jedi are. That, in fact, that's pro- that probably works. You can probably do a lot of things with it, right? How about fourth threat being you are aware of an open-ended major bounty on any Jedi. And further, you know that on this world, there's a magistrate that'll pay you credits for info on this girl right now. I wonder what the smuggler's obligation was and if you couldn't have tied it into that directly. Like, you know there's a bounty on the Jedi and you know the Jedi's bounty would pay off your obligation to this guy. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. But I mean, yeah, I, I mean, basically, it's a stick and a carrot, right? You, you you've got the, you've got the carrot out there, and you've put out a nice little moral choice. Pretty much, <laughs> threat doesn't have to be something tra- horrifically tragic in the sense of completely negative. It could be something that ca- here's an opportunity. You're gonna kill your buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so and then and then if they act on it, actually, it winds up being a, a negative for the entire party. You it, know, it, it's you, it's so cer- many ways you can go with that. It certainly does. It's okay, so this is a good suggestion, and I, I, I am in complete agreement with you. Now, having said that, and I wanted to get into that suggestion and talk about that because there's other players out there. I, I don't want to have fall into that same pitfall. But uh, for for Huli's situation, it's it is a moot point. The problem is here now, right? It's in the past. So what can he do about it? Well, first of all, party conflict is okay, as long as it's not a problem. So you're saying it's only a problem if it's a problem? Pretty much. (laughs) So he's in a group where this is a result of amazing narrative storytelling. And every player, including the Jedi, seems to be having a good time. And if that's the case, then there's no issues. Even if they all turn on her, if she if she's completely okay, loves that concept, if she's having a ball, if the player is enjoying herself, and all the other players are enjoying themselves, in throughout this whole conflicted interparty con- uh, uh, interaction, that's okay. We've played. We've all played with players like oh, that. God, I have cat. I'm looking at cat. <laughs> yeah, that was. The- <laughs> I mean that was a that was that was somebody who who like uh, a ship is exploding around her and we're trying to drag her off and she's shooting us to keep her from dragging her off the ship because the corpse of her brother is there and she refuses to leave it and we're like what, what do we do and 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 Brev who was the GM at the time is like let her do it and we left and the ship blew up and she was on it and we're like we're so sorry she's like don't apologize I wanted that that was my character's choice that was great <laughs> storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah. Do you remember when uh, was it Booter that killed himself? Yeah. By jumping off a cliff. I remember that. Yes, he did. 
but he saved to, save, he's, to he, save the character that his character was in love with. Yes. No, it was Jake, not Booter. It was Jake. That's right. It was Jake. Yep. It was yep. Jake. And he did it. And and it was it was marvelous role playing, and it was amazing, and it was wonderful. Um, he was a Mando Merc man, and he sacrificed his life for the woman he loved. It was incredible. There you go. Um, okay, so it may not be a problem, guys, like you're saying, but what if it is a problem or is going to be a problem? What does Huli need to do? Uh, first off, find out if it's a problem. Okay. Um, I think he needs to have a sit down with, well, probably first the Jedi player. Um, first of all, talk to the Jedi player, find out if how the player is handling it. How the player feels. If the player's having a good time, there's no problem. Then the next thing to do is talk to the other PCs and ask them, hey folks, things are getting kind of tense between the characters. Is everybody cool with that? Yeah. It's not wrong. You know, do it before or after, mid-session, in-between sessions, whatnot. Find out. Make sure everyone is still having a good time and is enjoying it. And, and if they're not, it's kind of on them to tell you. And if the, someone's saying, yeah, I'm having a little bit of an issue, then you can start working on solutions. Um, Talk to the Jedi player. Tell her that you're going to give the character a chance to endear herself to the rest of the party. But for that to work, she needs to act act as if the act with the party and 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 be virtuous and and bring herself and start to work to endear herself to the party. Try to be helpful. Try to help you resolve this resolution. Help me help you. Exactly. Keith, Keith in chat has a good suggestion to give the oper- the Padawan the opportunity to reduce the smuggler's obligation. There you go. That's a great suggestion for Mr. Kappel. That is a fantastic suggestion. Um, I mean, but like he was talking about her whole, remember her morality was like struggling with the dark side, right? Sure. Yeah, that's all well and good. But I, I agree with you, Phil. She She needs to make the choice out of character to be a good girl for a session or two and kind of issue that part of her morality struggle in order to get this sticky party conflict situation taken care of. Okay. If one, you don't have a counter, then you're just being an evil dick. Pretty much. I mean, once once they trust her, she can get back to that moral conflict storyline. But, I mean, that needs to be made clear to her. That if if, 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 if there is a problem, that you need, I agree, man. You tell her, look, I'm going to give you the chance to be virtuous and endure yourself to your party, but you have to take it and not be a dick. Yeah. There you go. Give give her the opportunity to save one of the characters' life, mm. even if possibility of great cost to herself. Yeah, make yeah, absolutely. I love I love the obligation idea, man. If you if that's if, great. if you that well, man, what a way to endear yourself to a party member. You are responsible for reducing their obligation. Oh yeah, that's a great great suggestion. As far as the droid goes, put the droid in a situation where it's basically going to be treated as property, or vandalized, or or ostracized, or something. And give the Jedi an opportunity to resolve it, to, to help the droid out. Or st- or at least stand up to the droid. Even if it ends horribly and in violence, whatever. If she stands up for the droid. Yeah. I mean, that'll endear her to the droid right away. Should. Yeah. Meatbag. Yeah. <laughs> Meatbag. <laughs> well, these these are all very good suggestions. Any other thoughts, guys? I think we've, we've, we've plumbed quite a bit on this. Yeah. Nothing leaps to mind. I mean, it... it, it Find out if it's a problem. That's that's your first step. Find out if there's a problem, and if there is a problem, take some of the you know take some of the advice that we gave and, and that Keith Capel gave. Yeah, and uh, and and it can it should be able to be resolved. It should be able to work. I I agree. 
Excellent, excellent uh, uh, WGGB, Hooli. Um, love it. If you guys have any Win Good Games Go Bag segments, you can, of course, head to the d20radio.com slash forum website, forums website, uh, where you can find the Order 66 podcast boards and, and post it up. We have requests for show topics and uh, and as well as a, a dedicated thread for our next segment, which we are going to get to right now. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Oh, welcome to Messages from the Edge, um, our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. How can people get us these questions? Phil, I ask you. Well, the easiest way is to travel to our forums and post it up. Head to www.d20radio.com slash forums, register, and head to the Order 66 podcast boards, where you'll find the messages from the Edge thread. You can also email your question to us at gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, and gmphil at d20radio.com. You can also, if you're brave enough like these three people were, you can leave us the question via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline at 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. All right. Well, our first voicemail question of the evening um, came in from Darth Pseudonym. And, um, well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to play it. And... Uh, uh, Phil, I think this one's right up your alley. Um, I want to take the second one, and Dave, I know you want to take the third one because we've already talked about it. <laughs> All right, let's hit it. So here we go. Hey, this is Darth Pseudonym, and uh, I had a question about the 4C power. Um, the first control upgrade on the 4C power lets you roll your force dice along with your initiative check and spend your pip to gain extra successes. And then the other two control upgrades allow affected targets to get increased defenses or bonus maneuvers on the first round of combat. Um, so when the target in, in your yourself, if you don't have any magnitude upgrades, are you affected if you rolled no light pips and chose not to convert any dark pips? In other words, if you rolled the force dice along with your initiative but you didn't generate any bonus successes, were you affected by the force power? Thanks. Hmm. Jeez. <coughs> oh, sorry. Excuse me. Well. <laughs> yeah. So, the 4C power on page 300 of the Age of, Age of Rebellion core rulebook. At its basic power, lets you spend a generated pip to gain visions of the future. But, with a control upgrade 1, you can instead roll a, your force dice with your pool when rolling for initiative, spending any pips as successes on the check. Now, this is nice, but let's stop there. Let's say you did this, but rolled zero light side pips, and you don't want to spend dark side pips. What then? Does anything happen? No! <laughs> you are not affected by the force power. Simple as that. Okay, now that we're good on that, the next control upgrade says that any, atar- any target affected by the force power, as we just discussed, also gets a plus two to both ranged and melee defense for the first round of combat. So, to Darth uh, Pseudonym's question, 
If I choose not to activate the power during initiative by not spending dark side pips, then I have chosen not to activate the power. No, you don't still get the benefit of the defense increase. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I mean, the reason being, you can always activate the power. Always. You're always going to generate at least one pip. But it's your choice whether to use the dark side or not. If you make that wise choice to stay in the light, that you choose to let the power not affect you, not partially affect you, not affect you at all. Agreement. Yes. We have triple agreements, counting the chat. Triple agreements. And that is an awesome upgrade. <laughs> yeah. I am so glad they added that. Man, I mean, I remember the 4C power in the beta, and then when we got the, the core rulebook, they added that in, because originally, that didn't do nothing other than just boost your initiative. Yeah. I love the fact that it gives you a defense bonus, even if it's just for a round. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the characters um, uh, in in my uh, my 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 night level module mm-hmm. um, is a a seer who focuses on four C, and yep. the crap she can do <laughs> <laughs> for initiative boosts and uh, helping others get defense bonuses and stuff is pretty stellar. My Hutball mod, the uh, the the Jedi Knight's companion who was a former Sith Lord, um, he's got the 4C power, but he doesn't have the upgrades that allows him to share the initiative result with everybody. <laughs> so he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to give myself a plus two bonus to defense. Screw the rest of y'all. Not you guys, jerks. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Our next question comes in uh, from Darth Mask, and let's hear it. This is Darth Mask, and while I never listened to the Order 66 podcast, I have a question that might be able to be answered by one or more of the hosts thereof. So I GM uh, Edge of the Empire games on a semi-regular basis, and oftentimes I play with different players. But every single group that I come up or come into contact with seems to have the same issue revolving around how grenades are used uh, with this system. In previous systems, they always had some sort of a slash effect or something where people could dodge, but they would have to make the attempt to do so. Now, in order to activate blasts, you need to roll a certain amount of advantage to... Uh, be able to get that uh, area effect that goes off. Now, I've used different methods of explaining that to people, but I'd like to hear some opinions from some of you guys, maybe experiences or uh, thoughts on how to describe narratively the uh, what the effect is when you don't roll that advantage and yet you still hit. Thanks, and as always, I never listen. Oh, well, thank you for never listening. Um, <laughs> and I am one of the hosts therein, so I will attempt to answer this question. Um, the first is really, I mean, I mean, Phil, we had an episode devoted to this a long time ago. This, the episode 24, I think. This really goes back to expectations of prior systems, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, and, dude, Mask, I've been right where you are, man. I really have. Some things to think about. There's two things I want to try and share with you and maybe have the others chime in, too. Um, the first is, how do you explain this preemptively to a player? And the second is, how do you handle the narration of the result when you actually roll it and you succeed but don't get the advantages? Right. So, number one, how do you explain it preemptively? Look, 
you have to say it this way. You have to explain it to your players like this. It is actually really, really easy to generate two advantage when you throw a grenade. In fact, I would say it is entirely probable that you will. Why? Because usually your only difficulty on it is one purple die. <laughs> okay? That's your only cancellation. And, you know, that means that for anyone who's reasonably skilled with ranged light, they're going to generate two advantage almost always. Now, sure, that won't mean likely two advantage for somebody with like a two die pool in ranged light, like maybe you have or I have. But I want you to ask your friends, if you were to hand them a live grenade and told them to pull the pin and hurl it at a squad of dummies, could they guarantee a group hit detonation without fail um, or without putting themselves into the radius of the blast? That's the kicker. It's really not easy to, I mean, you know, grenades are kind of fire and forget. They're, they're simple, you know, infantry weapons. That's what they were designed for. But, you know, getting a true splash effect, proper blast against a group of clumped enemies requires some training. Like, I don't know, lots of ranks and ranged light. <laughs> okay. It's and not it, like they're impact weapons either. I mean, how many times will a grenade hit and roll farther than you expected it to? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And so that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with this. And that's kind of how you need to explain this to your players. Um, for a skilled user, even, even, not, not, I'm not talking like some badass with ranged light, even a moderately skilled user, okay, they're, they are ridiculously likely on that one purple die difficulty, you know, which is short range, the limit, the limit of that thrown grenade as far as you can throw it anyway, they are, they are incredibly likely to get there to advantage, okay. Um, now, can you, what about a grenade launcher? Okay, well, that's a whole new ballgame. Yeah, your difficulty mm -hmm. increases, but your average Joe cannot use a grenade launcher without special training. Okay, in which case you're really going to have your likelihood of advantage there too. So, mm -hmm. um, now what about after you roll the dice and you get a success on the grenade roll, but you don't roll to advantage? How do you describe the grenade only hitting one target in an engaged group? I have two wonderful descriptions I will give you that I have used in games in the past. Um, the grenade rolls across the floor and one of your foes screams, grenade, and he jumps on top of it. Yeah. Uh, he bears the brunt of the explosion and saves his allies. Okay. What I've just narratively described is a grenade hit on one person. <laughs> or you arc the grenade too high. It goes up. And as it's coming down, it doesn't actually hit the ground. It, it lands literally mid, it detonates midair in front of a guy. And that guy sh inadvertently shields all of his allies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, excellent. Excellent. Um, the grenade strikes the ground right at your target's feet, uh, but doesn't go off just yet. Um, it bounces for a brief second with a loud chink to the right. Your target screams and his comrades dive for cover just in the nick of time, but your target, yeah. your target was not so lucky. Okay. This is exactly what I was thinking because the game system is so narrative. The ranges are descriptive guidelines. They're not like a grid map where you are in this square, you are in this square. Being engaged in, in, in engaged range is someone it's not necessarily means you're within arm's length. Length, and correct. you could easily just say that. Oh my God, it's a grenade! You have that one second to run quickly, grab behind some cover. The grenade goes off. You kind of shake it off, and you get back to the your 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 fighting your, your fighting position. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind a success on a grenade throw means that you have targeted an individual and you manage to get your your arc just right to where that that timed detonation on that grenade is going to going to go off right when it hits that point okay mm -hmm. 
The two advantage represents extreme skill in going above and beyond to making sure the arc is perfect, that there you're able to sneak the grenade in without any time for them to react to it, and consequently affect multiple people. Okay, and that's that's what it that's what it comes down to. Grenades have the potential to affect multiple people. It's not guaranteed, and real grenades don't work that way. So that's how you should explain it to your players, and in my opinion, how you should narrate it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, our last question of the night comes from GM Topher, and it is a phenomenal one that made me squeal like a little girl, and Dave peed his pants. Okay. There's a puddle on the floor. There really was. Hey, guys, it's GM Topher here. You may have already answered this question, but I wouldn't know because I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. But I'm curious how you would uh, interpret these roles. I've got the, a group who... In, interrogated an imperial officer and uh, at the end of their interrogation decided to give the, the big recruitment speech. <laughs> and uh, given that they had just interrogated him, I gave them an incredibly difficult role. However, they made an amazing check. I'm curious how you would handle this recruitment check uh, that has an end result of one uncanceled success in the form of a triumph, but also included a despair. Let me know what you think. Thanks. <laughs> I love this one on so many levels. It's like the MasterCard commercial. Priceless. Yep. This one, this this question was worth its time in gold. They succeeded on the roll after interrogating a guy, an insanely difficult check. They managed to succeed and get a triumph. That's great. But they had a despair, and that makes it so fun. So they've got a new eager recruit on their hands, potentially, and he's got some super awesome classified intelligence and uh, a major target of opportunity that the rebels can can hit that's right that's your triumph yes that's the triumph and by the way the guy was wearing a wire and so the emperor empire knows everything (laughs) or he is giving you the intel but he's still going to be loyal to the empire so he has become a double agent Maybe, um, maybe I mean, he, maybe he's where a else mor- can you go with this thing? Maybe, right? he, maybe he, he's he, a moron. Maybe he neglect. Maybe he gives you that awesome yeah. lead and then neglects to mention the interdictor cruiser protecting it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot. By the way, yeah. I mean, just in, in case you're wondering, you're going to go after it. Oh yeah. By the way, the executor's hanging out next door. If the if the wire concept is a little too far fetched, if if someone thinks that you know we search them blah blah blah, they shouldn't have any communications on them, doesn't even have to necessarily be that. The despair could be that someone in Imperial Command recognizes the fact that this guy is gone, that he's been captured, and that everything he knows has been compromised. And the despair is that something that the GM just kind of puts in his pocket and says, "Okay, I'm going to hold on to the despair. I'm not going to tell you what happens with it. You'll find <laughs> out later." Yeah. And that later despair is. They realize that, okay, they're, they're probably going to interrogate him about this operation, shut down the operation, change the operation, 
make that operation point a trap. Right. You know, I, I, my first thought was the guy becomes literally an informant. That he. That could easily be it too. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that little bit, a little piece of intel here, a little piece of intel there. The rebels don't necessarily suspect that, oh man, dang it, the Empire just happened to show up. But it wasn't bad. It wasn't, you know. And then and, when they go to hit the main thing, all of a sudden they just get slaughtered. And, and folks, just like I mentioned, just because you're rolling your dice out there in, in the wide, wide open in front of everybody and everyone gets to see what you roll, if that's the way you roll, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to tell the PCs what the bad thing is right then and there. Oh, yeah, especially <laughs> with despair. You can put despairs and threat in your pocket for later. Oh, yes. As long as it's relevant. Frequently. I, you do that very, very, very frequently. Now, I was, <laughs> I was chawing on this, and I, I'm like, I'm with Dave. One of my first thoughts was, oh, yeah, he accepts, but he's really a double agent. But then did they really succeed on the role? You know what I mean? Yeah. And we always talk about how the despair result should never be, should never cancel the success, right? Right. So Dave's, what I loved about the options Dave presented were that the guy is, is unknowingly a double agent. He, he really does believe in the rebellion and he's converted. Okay. That's a phenomenal way to deal with the despair. So you, you succeeded, you converted him, but the empire still figured it out. Or maybe you converted him for a while. Maybe he has a change of heart after serving in the underfunded struggling rebellion for a couple weeks. Why did I join you people? Why did I join you people? What, I don't get my own room? <laughs> Where's my monthly stipend? <laughs> Do you have any idea what kind of position I held? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's, these are, these are all good options, but, um, hopefully Topher, we've given you some good suggestions there. And that, that question and that role is the epitome of why I love this system so much. Oh, um, yes. <clears throat> absolutely incredible. <laughs> What? I, like, I think I know where Keith was going. He was like, Reek. <laughs> oh, Reek. Reek. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's going to snap and go back to being Theon. <laughs> they turn him into Reek. The interrogation. <laughs> send, send a message to the local uh, the local moth. <laughs> Here is Commander Corrin's favorite plaything. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and Keith's in chat trying to be a rebel gunner without that fancy clamshell helmet it's really just not worth it <laughs> oh I love it oh man good questions guys if you have any additional questions of course as we said send them in to us give us a call at the D20 radio hotline 262 D20 radio 262-320-7234 or email us GM's Chris GM Dave or GM Phil at D20 radio dot com or head to the forums and post it up because it is time to bring a close to this menagerie we guys want we want you to become a member of the gamer nation head to d20radio.com check out the most amazing gaming blog out there and uh, click on the uh, button on the side of the page to get to our forums at d20radio.com slash forums register post your mind and uh, that uh, hotline we mentioned a bit ago do what uh, Darth P did earlier and uh, leave us a liner. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast because we really want to play it live for everyone to hear. Our next show, guys, will be Sunday the 28th. And boy, do we have a show on the docket for you guys. We will be digging deep into a long overdue listener request talking about campaign construction. 
not just module construction or adventure construction, we've talked about that, but actually building a campaign from the bones up and planning it out fully. And joining us for that discussion is the man with the plan who has been too far along away from this podcast. Expect another four-hour show because he is planning his own new campaign in Edge of the Empire and wants to talk about it. Mr. Sam Whitwer will be returning to the show, currently planned, on Sunday the 28th. Because staying up till Sunday at 1 a.m. is high on my list. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, man. <laughs> it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be it'll be a hoot and a kitten caboodle. So check out the forums, guys. Email us, phone us. We love you. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Dave here saying, "Keep them dice a rolling." And this is GM Phil saying, "May the dice be with you, baby." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Oh, that's, um, that's, uh, that, I, I think, I think that's a wrap. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. Alright, this has to be short because it's late and I gotta work tomorrow. <laughs> okay, I want a jaw. Have you guys seen Jurassic World yet? No. I have not. Oh, what? I went into post show talking about Jurassic World. Y'all ain't seen Jurassic World yet. What's wrong with y'all? I get to see it on Father's Day. <sighs> yeah, well, I had it. My, my stepson graduated high school this past weekend, so. Oh, yeah. And then. And then Sunday, I, I we went out to have dinner because it was you know, he graduated. My wife's birthday was the day before, and his her parents were taking us all out to a really nice restaurant. And just had stuff to do, the stuffs, things to do for the stuffs. Yeah, and there was no way I was going to go see it Friday night. There was just that was just insane. But I, it is on my list of things to see this coming weekend, though. Yeah, it was um uh you'll you'll enjoy it. It was just uh um it had well, I it, did not expect it to have as big an opening weekend as it did. It's dinosaurs and Jurassic Park and Steven Spielberg. Apparently <laughs> no one expected it. You know, you talk about the top four movies that folks were expecting to make like, you know, a billion dollars or have huge opening events. Jurassic Park was not in the top five. Not even close. It, it was not. No. You know, you're talking like Star Wars, Avengers, yeah. Furious 7, uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. All these big opening movies. 
Jurassic World wasn't even on the radar. So it had, and I don't want to spoil the movie for you guys at all because you haven't seen it yet, but it had the Star Trek Into Darkness phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Star Trek Into Darkness. But when I got out of the theater, I was breathless, okay? And I caught my breath. And And then about three days later, I was like, wait, there were like these huge freaking plot holes in that film. Right? <laughs> but you don't notice it when you're watching the movie because it's incredibly entertaining. Does that make sense? Yes. So as a result, yes, it was highly enjoyable. It was incredibly entertaining. It was a summer blockbuster in the classical, in the way that few directors, Spielberg being one of them, can do it. Sure. Summer blockbuster. Okay. Action, humor, fun, great set pieces. Um, and uh, it just, uh, you know, but then, then when you get home three days later, you're like, wait, what about the, what about the, uh, what, really? <laughs> oh, hold on. Wait. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, but you, you really, you really don't, don't notice too much about that. It's, it's it, when you're watching the film, it's highly enjoyable. You need to see it on the biggest screen possible. And um, <laughs> the, the one is the, the one the one is the the one thing <laughs> the one I like the one is the one is I like the one is the one is thing I can tell you is the one th- the one is thing um, that I I really enjoyed about it and was cognizant enough to realize as I was watching the movie is the movie in the way that the other two sequels did not paid respect to the first film oh good and it and it paid respect in terms of the pacing the tone. And and in some cases very overtly, and in some cases very subtly, um, brings you back into Jurassic Park, and cool. uh, it was uh, that was that was really enjoyable. Um, I thought they, they 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 did a good job with that. So now, do they go into explaining why they went forward with Jurassic World? Not so much, not not in so many sentences, but but you're left to figure it out and assume pretty quickly. Um, without spoiling anything for you, early on—I mean, very early on in the film—you you meet the John Hammond replacement. Yeah, and and uh, I actually really like the character, and he, he uh, he's like this Indian super rich magnate basically, and he uh, he he pretty much says, "Look, when I took this over for John Hammond, you know, I made a promise to him." But yada but yada but yada, and it's very obvious that you know it's like we have this technology, we did all this research, we're going to build a theme park, and we're going to make a crap ton of money. I mean, that's why they went forward with it, you know. <laughs> there you go, money. <laughs> it's always money. It's all it's always money, but the money has a darker side, and so does the dinosaurs. <laughs> so which which they get into in the plot, and it was hilarious because Vincent D'Onofrio was in the film. And really? it's like, yes. And, um, with hair and, a, and a, a, and a Van Dyke and <laughs> with, hair, with hair this time. So he's not, well, yeah, but he still had the build of the Kingpin. He still had that sort of like muscular, but pseudo pudgy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know when he filmed it, but <laughs> it's gotta be pretty near, near to it. I mean. So it was, it was like, it was like watching, it was like, it was like, you know, and D'Onofrio is a great actor, but you know, it was like, uh, you know, he didn't sound or act anything like the character, but he, uh, even that it was like watching the Kingpin with hair and a Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a minute. I'm expecting him to like, when's he going to cut the dinosaur's head off with the car door? When's he going to do that? That's weird. Cause I, I didn't see him at all in any of the trailers. He's not. Um, he's not. I, I've seen him. I've seen him in some of the press, but. Yeah. Oh, and okay. So in the trailers that you guys have seen, you've seen the scenes where Chris Pratt's character 
is like riding with the raptors, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It is so badass. <laughs> <laughs> like like they did not blow their wad in the trailer they showed you a bare glimpse of complete badassery <laughs> I um, can't wait uh it, it's just like and and the best part is they they got the technology point there's a there's like this one scene where the pack is racing at night and you're seeing it from a raptor's eye view and oh. it, it's just like oh wow and it, it's kind of scary and that was one of the things it's like the, the the director just did this great job of like when you're in that scene, you're like, my God, this must be how a rabbit feels like when it's being chased by a pack of wolves. And you really feel it. And I was wow. just, I was like, dude, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm kind of scared here. This is kind of, okay. Yeah, it was wicked. Sweet. No, I'm, I'm definitely, there's no question about me seeing it. The only question is when I'll get a chance to. And I definitely will see it. Um, something else that happened this past week, and, and and I know you two folks are are gamers, so let me ask you this: E three, yeah, and all the uh, reveals and all the trailers that came out of there. What are you guys looking forward to? <sighs> what am I not looking forward to? Um, <laughs> uh, Mass Effect. There you go. Um. Did that surprise you? The fact that they 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 announced another Mass Effect? No, no. I was I, I'm amazed it took them this long. I mean, I understand they wrapped the story, but it was a giant money maker. When you have a franchise that's successful, you're not going to leave it ever. Yeah, that's the trend now. It's Hollywood uh, too. Battlefront. I am all about Battlefront. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Oh my god. Of course. I don't, I, consider, mean, I don't consider that an E3 announcement though. That was no, it wasn't an E3 announcement. I mean, the Fallout Four thing was cool. Yeah, so that's that's my number two is Fallout Four. Seeing everything for Fallout 4. I am so getting one of those pit boys. I am so getting one of those pit boys. Yeah. Did, did you see the whole thing with the with the the pit boy and the and the second screen app, Dave? Uh huh. I've seen oh, some Dave. of it, but I haven't. No, I haven't seen well, it at no, all. Okay, so you don't you don't need like if you buy the deluxe version of the game, it comes with a model of the pit boy that you can f- put your smartphone inside of. Okay, and whether whether you have the pit boy or not, you can for free download an app that will wirelessly connect with your next-gen console and serve as a second-screen experience. So you can manage your Pip-Boy on your smartphone or handheld <laughs> thing, and it will affect the game. It will have impacts. You understand? It's so badass. <laughs> I love what the, I love what the, uh, the executive producer was saying on screen. He's like... Yeah, these all these second, you know, all these second screen things are really kind of kitschy and they're really overdone. And he looks down at it, but this one's fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) The the audience went nuts. Ballistic, completely ballistic. Ballistic. I love the I love all the mini games that are going to be in it. The whole build your community, and you basically have a tower defense game in there. You can get like Donkey Kong and Missile Command for your Pip Boy and play them while you're playing the game. <laughs> yep. You got the the whole um, crafting system in there where you're just making all these guns and upgrading your armor, kit bashing yeah. everything. Yeah, and they're just like you don't have to do any of this. You know, it's still just a phenomenal game. That's the Fallout experience you've come to expect. But if you want to, you can completely build entire settlements from raw materials. Yeah. It's like you can interact with everything in the game. You can pick up a teddy bear and an old phone because they're lying on the side of the road along with the other millions of things. And you can put them in your inventory and literally 
deconstruct them and use their raw materials to build things. You can get steel and plastic out of the phone. You can get fiber out of the bear, and you need those ingredients to build things. And it's it's like that you can optionally build, and it's just like what yeah. unbelievable. I'm I, what what surprised me the most about it was I was expecting them to say coming 2016. I was not expecting them to say coming in November. Christmas, yeah, for Christmas, yeah. I mean, because the last time when they released Fallout Three, they released that and you know, they they did it at E3, and then it came out the next fall. Yeah, like, you know, uh, with 2006 they announced it, and it came out fall 2007. So I was expecting something like that. I was expecting at least a year. I wasn't expecting six months. So Chris, I I halfway expected you to to be excited, and I don't know if you're still into it, but I mean, you have a tattoo for it. So the Super Mario Maker. What what what? This it, Super Mario Maker allows you to build levels and then share them yeah. for other people. Oh my god! Yeah. Um. It would excite me more if I had time to devote to it. it. It's something that would suck my life away. I thought it was really cool. Um, I I think I am more excited about the Lego Minecraft. That's not what it's called. I forget what they're calling it. But have you <laughs> have you seen videos for Lego for the Lego's version of Minecraft? I have. Yeah. That that kind of blows me away. Yeah. yeah. And Microsoft, but like Microsoft, like I, it was just one big pile of meh for me. I mean, they went off their their whole hollow display or whatever the hell it was called. You know, their their version of the Oculus Rift, basically. Yeah. yeah, and their augmented reality, and I was like, okay, well, that's that's kind of neat. This is the Minecraft thing you've been talking about for forever. What else can it do? That's really all you're showing me is Minecraft. And um, furthermore, I've read a bunch of reviews about it offline. Some people that have that have got their hands on it, and they're like, look, you can't trust the videos. It says you have to understand. There's like a square of vision in front of you, and in the peripherals, you don't see this stuff. You know, it's just right there. You have to be looking directly at it. And uh, it, it's not a true AR experience. So uh, I say, you know, what what's there is really cool, but it's it it's not enough. It's it's but uh, you know, but on one on one perspective, uh, Dave will get this. It's a skateboard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. So speaking of skateboards, you did see that there's a firmware upgrade coming that will allow Xbox One to play 360 games. Yeah, like a select few titles. Yeah. And you I mean, have to port them individually. Yeah, and you literally have to put the disc in. It has to download the game to the hard drive of the machine. Yeah, and then you still have to have the disc in to play the game. But, yeah, uh, I mean that's. I mean, I have a one terabyte external. I'm I'm not going to run out of space. So, I you know, hopefully, you know, a couple of these things that, will be what I want to play. That is, I don't think Sony will be able to do it. Well, uh, I mean, well, they don't need to. They can. They're backwards compatible. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, that was the one, that was the one nail in the coffin for the Xbox One for me. Why I haven't even thought about getting one. It's like, I, no, I, I, you mean I can't play my 360 games? F you. How, hmm. da- how dare you? Um, <laughs> how dare you, sir? How, how, dare- how dare you? How dare you? I mean, I mean, the, 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 the Xbox One was one flawed marketing decision after another. Some of them were so grievous they had to reverse the midstream. Oh, yeah. No, I remember that. I, I mean, do, remember do you that. remember like, oh, yeah. you, remember the whole, you have to be online to use it? Remember that? Yep. It's like, it's like, it, and I read a really great article in Wired about this. And people say, look, these engineers, they live in Silicon Valley or Portland or Seattle. And they can't, they can't even conceptualize that a world exists where a person does not have reliable high-speed internet. Right. They, they, it, doesn't even fit into, it doesn't even fit into their brain space. 
Okay. So th- they couldn't even conceive that people would be outraged by that, that you'd have to be online for, you know what I mean? Right. So, <laughs> cause in their world, you're, no one is never not consistently connected to high speed. So it's just, you know, it's one thing after another. And the whole reverse compatibility thing was a big ding and they finally had to bite the bullet on that. I don't know. I'll get one. Of, I'll get one of the systems because I have to play Battlefront. I have to play Battlefront. I have to. Yeah, I have to. I mean, Halo Five was a thing for me, of course, because I like yeah, Halo. I love Halo Two. But Battlefront is the thing, you know. Well, Battlefront only both systems, but you know, I'm a Halo fan, and I'm I'm the weird Halo fan too. I'm the one percent. I'm not a fan of multiplayer. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I like I like the single player modes, and I love the stories of the Halo games. I own all the books. I think they're wonderful. My yeah. brother and I would have. Land parties at our house back in the day and daisy chain network Xboxes together so that we could play. Yeah. Very nice. So, all right, gentlemen, unfortunately, I've got to get going. Oh, okay. Yeah. I need, I need to, I need to jet too. All right, Gamer Nation. Good night. And good luck. <laughs>